Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Star Wars. It is more than just a successful movie. It is a box office phenomenon. The film is breaking attendance records all over the country. Not since Jaws have so many people stood in line to see a movie. Star Wars is one of the most successful media franchises ever made with an estimated value of over $65 billion. To its fans, its worth is so much more. It's an epic space opera adventure and quickly became a worldwide pop culture phenomenon since its first movie release in 1977. Its creator, George Lucas, is a filmmaker and a savvy businessman. Founding Lucasfilm, LucasArts and Industrial Light and Magic. Lucas served as chairman of Lucasfilm before selling it to the Walt Disney Company in 2012. In this special episode, we'll be taking a look at the movie saga as a whole with a spoiler look at the latest installment of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Today, I'm joined in the studio with regular contributor Ranji Namra. Alongside Ranji, I have enlisted Kyle Belcher, a movie lover with a particular interest in Star Wars. Welcome both of you. How are you guys? You good? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, good. Uh, Kyle, as a newcomer to the podcast, give us a lowdown on who you are and what made you want to tackle this episode with us today. If I'm being cynical, I'd say you probably invited me on for my cynicism, having known you for a long time, (laughs) Craig, you know, the sort of rants and things I can get into. But no, I think like practically everyone our age, um, I'm a big Star Wars fan. We obviously grew up at the time when the prequels were coming out. And by then, the original films have sort of taken on legendary status. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think... Pretty much it's always been in the background of my life and all of our lives, really. And I think we'll probably continue to do so forever at the rate that they're going with these <laughs> films and endless TV series, the sort of monolith that Star Wars has become. But um, I think, unlike a lot of the sort of really, really close fans, I, I maybe take a slightly more critical view of the uh, series as a whole. Um, I find there's a lot to be said for Star Wars. There's a lot to analyse. Um, I love analysing things. And, yeah, I could like to get my teeth into a subject, Star Wars uh, being one of them. Good stuff. Uh, Ranji. obviously our listeners are very familiar with who you are, but why Why did you want to be on this episode? Um, I too am a big Star Wars fan, but probably not as big as Kyle. Um, <laughs> I grew up with the prequels. Uh, I remember watching Attack of the Clones twice in the cinema as a kid. I loved it. And then as early as I grew older, I realised it probably wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I've seen all the films. I love the films. I know a bit more than your average sort of movie fan of Star Wars. So yeah, that's why I wanted to join you guys. Excellent stuff. Uh, So we're going to do something here where uh, we break down each trilogy. Um, So obviously we're going to start with episode uh, four, five and six, go on to episode one, two and three, and then finish with the newer stuff, uh, episode seven, eight and nine. Uh, So without further ado, let's go in to the first part of this show. So kicking off the first part of this show, we're looking at the humble beginnings of Star Wars and what made this a wonderful trilogy for everybody to love uh kyle do you want to kick us off with a few stats maybe about how the film was made the first film well it's interesting because i mean it's probably quite well known that star wars had really really difficult birth it was um the whole original trilogy was fraught with problems but particularly the first um episode i mean when they got to tunisia to film the scenes on tatooine with luke and the rest um they were hit by a freak rainstorm which was the first that had hit Tunisia in something like 50 years just completely out of the blue that's such bad luck <laughs> i know it's the worst, the worst time you can think of out in the desert especially but um that led to all kinds of props malfunctioning like the droids r2d2 suit wouldn't work so they had to do these endless sort of reshoots and the, the whole thing was a, a real nightmare um 
on top of that, you had um, the special effects crew, Industrial Light and Magic, which was Luke's new studio. Um, Luke's had very, very high standards for the special effects, which are going to be used in the film, but it was all kind of quite untested at that point. Mm. It was a lot of um, you know groundbreaking new technology, groundbreaking new techniques, that sort of mixture of CG and models. And they really struggled in the initial stages. And um, I think that shows in some of the very, very early footage you can see of episode four, where you can sort of see the difficulties they were having. A lot of the um, shots don't look quite as clean as they should have done. It was, you know, a really, really difficult birth on that side of things, not just the sort of practical side, but also the technological. Yeah, so the first episode was episode four, Star Wars, A New Hope. That came to us in 1977 and was directed by George Lucas himself, as well as being written by George Lucas. Ranji, have you got the Rotten Tomatoes stats there for that? Yeah, so A New Hope is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes at 93%, with an audience score of 96%. So pretty much everyone's on the same page there. Um, and yeah, I mean, this was in 1977. This was like, there was like a trilogy of big movies at the time. You had Jaws, you had A New Hope, and then you had uh, Superman, the Christopher Reeve Superman, which came out, I think, the year after A New Hope. So you mm. had this this amazing uh, sort of new era of filmmaking, this blockbuster filmmaking, which was uh, new to audiences. And, it, you know, Star Wars just was huge and it was playing in cinemas for years. Mm, and as in the intro, nobody has queued up like any film like this before, exactly. other than Jaws, um, which is obviously a testament to, to how successful this first movie uh, introduction to, to Star Wars really, really was. Um, I remember watching it for the first time and just really falling in love with this space opera drama that played out on, on screen. And, and I'd not seen anything like that before, even as a kid. I mean, the only thing that I really loved as a kid was Back to the Future. I mean, that was the real first films that really sold movies and cinema to me. But yeah, how did you guys feel about when you first saw Star Wars A New Hope for the first time? Because I'm guessing you watched that one first or did you watch something else first? Uh, New Hope was definitely the one I saw first. I think the real draw with those original films was just the strength of the characters. Mm. I mean, straight away you had a you know your, uh, properly recognisable main character in the form of Luke. Oh, I just I think it's a fantastic, real archetypal adventuring young lad wants to you know break away from his um, difficult past, his sort of you know humble, miserable life on Tatooine, being a, a moisture farmer of all things. Can you imagine anything more <laughs> miserable than that? My God. Um, to then embark on this amazing adventure and you sort of see the whole world through his eyes. On top of that, you have um, Han Solo, who's kind of the thing every kid wants to be kind of thing. So you had these really strong characters to look up to, which I think was what drew me in first. And there's the thing I always remember really from those early films is just really wanting to go on the the adventure with uh, the, yeah, fantastically picked cast and crew and the characters that they brought to life. Mm. So what I didn't realise about these films is that how much George Lucas drew upon different areas of science fiction and stuff. Now, Kyle, you do know a bit more about this, don't you? Well, bits and pieces. George Lucas's original idea actually came from the Flash Gordon comics, which he really, really enjoyed, and he'd seen some of the TV shows and things. But he thought, these are all very, very crude, and he thought, how can I do this really well? Um, and that was kind of what he wanted to do. He wanted to do Flash Gordon well, but he couldn't acquire the rights to the characters and ended up instead thinking, well, right, I'll make my own movie or make my own universe kind of thing so from scratch he built up the enormous monolithic universe of star wars pretty much just writing day and night and um yeah the stress of that as well as the filmmaking eventually took its toll on lucas and that was one of the biggest struggles with uh, making the first film um he suffered from panic attacks um terrible anxiety chest pains all the rest just from the sheer weight of 
the sort of the fact that Star Wars is this you know very new thing. A lot of the technology's um, untested. He was doing it entirely on his own with the um, filming troubles as well. It was something he really, really um, struggled with. But on top of that, it was just the weight of creating such a vast universe entirely from scratch. Mm, and it's the pressure of all those, I suppose, knowing that maybe this could be very, very successful. But he was quite savvy in terms of how he set up the business stuff, didn't he, as well? He, it was the merchandise that really made his money, wasn't it, Kyle? Yeah, I think it's fair to say from the start that George Lucas was a very savvy businessman. I think he knew from the start that there was potential in merchandising here. If you create a strong enough set of characters and some iconic set pieces and the rest, and they're going to fly off the shelves for kids. So, mm. yeah, I think it's fair to say he had a slightly cynical eye there right from the beginning. Yeah. Doesn't he have like some, he has a deal that he gets a certain amount from literally every single piece of merchandise with the Star Wars branding on it? I think that's true, right down to sippy cups and all yeah, the rest. Exactly. Anything with the literally logo on. every single piece of merchandise and no studio has ever made that deal again with any filmmaker because obviously, you know, how well it's done for George Lucas. So no studio will ever do that again. I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and, it, and I think he still retains those rights as well to this yeah, very day. So even selling the company yeah. um, to, to Disney um, or the rights to make new films, he still retains all merchandise uh, profits, which is still a pretty amazing thing to do. Um, Rand, when you were growing up, did you ever have any of the merchandise at all? Uh, yeah, I probably did, yeah. Um, I think for me, it must have been a lot of prequel stuff. Um, like I said, the first Star Wars film I saw was Attack of the Clones. Um, and then it wasn't until later where I watched the whole series properly. Uh, quite later, actually. But um, I think uh, for New Hope, another pretty ground- groundbreaking thing about it is that it had uh, this awesome female character in Princess Leia, which, you know, at the time wasn't that common. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's another another brilliant thing by George Lucas, you know, which he brought to the table that wasn't that common around that time, especially in the 70s. Well, yeah. it was interesting to take the idea of a damsel in distress and actually yeah. make her a complete badass. Who yeah. goes reg- it's interesting when they're going through the Death Star, they've just saved her, but she ends up sort of saving the chaps yeah, in a way exactly. because yeah. uh, she's the one with the blaster. She blasts open the hole so they can escape down the garbage chute, that kind of thing. That was always an interesting thing about Leia. She really didn't pull any punches. No, definitely not. She was the character, a female character that actually em- embodied female empowerment. And uh, I think that was a really significant thing at the time, definitely. Definitely. Um, does anyone else have anything more to say about episode four? Or would you like to proceed going further into the next two films and just sort of delve into those a little bit more? I think it's worth just saying that despite the difficulties they had in making it, what an amazing film Lucas came up with and what a brilliant start to what would turn out to be perhaps less smooth series as a whole. <laughs> God. Definitely, definitely. So moving on to Star Wars Episode Five, uh, we've got The Empire Strikes Back that came out in 1980. But this wasn't directed by George Lucas, was it? It wasn't indeed. It was uh, directed by Irvin Kershner, who was brought in. Um, I mentioned before Lucas's um, health problems and the struggles he'd had uh, making Episode Four. Um, it nearly killed him. He was hospitalised. And I think um, also that time he was working on... Um, other films, he had um, Industrial Light and Magic going, so he was trying to manage that. Um, he also was in the preliminary stages of putting together uh, Indiana Jones as well. So he took a step back from uh, five and six, literally for his health, for his own sake, but also because he had a huge business that he built up as well all at the same time. Which is impressive, it really is. I mean, to manage that, I mean, on a daily basis, I can't manage simple routines. <laughs> so for him to manage companies on that scale and then also be making movies and writing and creating something new with Indiana Jones going on in the background as well at the same time, it's pretty impressive stuff. Um, so we do have a different director. We have Irvin Kirshner, as you've already said. Um, what are your first impressions after seeing this film, Ranji? Uh, this is my favourite of the whole series, including Agreed. the new films. Um, I think it's the best. I think it has one of the most iconic twist endings of all time. Uh, it's, it's just so quotable. Um, the characters are 
in their prime in this film, I think. Um, and the, I can't imagine like what it must have been like being a kid in the cinema and hearing that line at the end from Darth Vader. Like, it just would have just blown my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the effects are better. Like it's just, it's just you can really feel, even though Lucas did take a step back in directing, he his fingerprints are still all over it. Like his in terms of the universe and the characters and the the through line is is incredible. It's an incredible piece of uh, filmmaking. Mm, but Kyle. I remember talking to you uh, about this before. It, it's probably a better thing that a different director came on board anyway. Do you not think? I think it's true um, to an extent because um, in, with some of Lucas's early ideas for um, Star Wars Episode Four, I think if he'd had full control and hadn't cooperated with his fellow actors and things as much, some of the characters would have turned out very, very differently to how they did. For example, Han Solo, I think, was originally meant to be a sort of a green alien type guy. And you can imagine no. how good that would have looked in an old-fashioned <laughs> 70s costume. Um, C-3PO was meant to be rather than sort of like an English butler, which suited him perfectly being a sort of, you know, protocol drawer. It's the idea is almost like a robot diplomat, I suppose. Mm. Um, rather than being like an English butler, he was going to be sort of like a used car salesman type guy. Can you imagine a sort of <laughs> sleazy C-3PO? It just doesn't work, does it? <laughs> no, not at all. But I think because he cooperated with his actors and he was open to ideas um, in those early stages, I think that you know, the film turned out better for it. And then taking a step back for episode um, five, I think, again... You can see in the prequels just what Lucas was capable of when he was completely unfettered and allowed to do anything he wanted. Yeah. And we're, we're going to come to those horrors in more detail a little bit later. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think having another director in place, but with Lucas still there with an enormous amount of influence on the script and all the rest, those limitations, I think, are important. They allow the series to flourish with someone else's touch rather than just one complete uh, master over the whole thing. Mm. So, Randy, have you got the Rotten Tomato scores for this one as well? I do. So, uh, Empire Strikes Back is 94% fresh and an audience score of 97%. So, in, in terms of that, it's, it's similar to the previous film, but is it slightly worse in terms of Rotten Tomato scores there? I think it might be. Um, no, actually, uh, episode four, A New Hope, is 93%. So this is just slightly higher. One whole percent. Yeah. One whole percent. And that makes all the difference because actually I agree as well. This is my favourite out of all the Star Wars films. It really is, for, which is strange actually because it's the middle film. And most middle films in trilogies tend to be the one that's the gateway that leads it into the next and to the final instalment in, in most films. But this one seems to be the best one. Do you not agree with that, Kyle? I was going to say, it's it's a tricky one. I think um, I'm trying to do some comparisons here. I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings, for example. You look back yeah, at uh, that exactly big trilogy. I was going to say, Two Towers, um, when it first came out, I was I, I liked, but I wasn't super keen on. But then when you saw Return of the King, I think there's a difficulty in ending trilogies, coming up with a really satisfying ending. And actually, in the middle, you have a lot more room to um, explore different themes. It's when your character's usually at their lowest, and, and then you see how they might struggle. Mm to um you know get back up to great heights that kind of thing and so i'd say actually empire being a middle film i think it almost makes sense that it's the best because i think it's usually in the middle of a series where the meat really starts to get put on the bones you have your sort of optimistic introduction mm. and then all the forces of darkness difficulty start to descend upon your characters that tends to flesh them out a little bit more and then ending a series i think is really quite difficult that goes for books that can go for films it can go for anything really so i think if you look at um like lord of the rings for example i think the return of the king was um I think it was the least well-received out of the uh, three Lord of the Rings films. And I think that's easy to see why. It was very, very grand, but a little unsatisfying in places. You had the sort of slightly awkward final battle with Frodo and um, 
Gollum sort of floating, like Gollum flying around an invisible Frodo. That was slightly odd. You had a big ghost <laughs> army. I think there was maybe a little much happening in that final film. And then with uh, Return of the Jedi with um, Star Wars, also perhaps not best received out of the um, original trilogy, which we're going to come to shortly. Um, so yeah, I think it's no surprise really that um, that middle film is the one that's um, probably the most exciting and has got the most that can be said for it. Yeah, no, you know what? I completely agree with you on that one now. You've you've swayed my opinion on the middle <laughs> trilogy film, um, definitely. Um, but with, yeah, as you were touching upon Return of the Jedi, just, I've got the Rotten Tomatoes here as well, um, 82%, so it is definitely the, the weakest link in, in that chain of trilogies. Um, any idea why, guys? I think, well, we're going to touch upon it a bit later, but finales are so hard to, to do mm. and to do right. Um, I think that's why Empire's empire sticks out so much compared to the rest because it's just you, you in the middle one you're able to just go crazy and you, you're able to just put your characters in you know scenarios like you know that they're, they're not able to do in the first film yet because you need to establish them and you to the audience need to needs to realize you know that you know they their individual traits and stuff so that's why return of the, uh, return of the king might be uh Let's receive Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> Return of the Jedi might be um, pretty uh, unhelpful names, aren't they? Less. But with with the Empire Strikes Back, I think that has probably one of the biggest twists yeah. in any film known to man. It was huge, and even when we went, well, when I went to go and see Episode One. I didn't know about this twist because I went into Star Wars very, really, really, really quite fresh. So I saw episode one in the cinema and my uncle was saying there's a big twist in the in the previous things. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you probably will work it out from this movie. And when I after seeing the movie, I still didn't quite get it. And I, I went back and started watching the original trilogy. Yeah. And yeah, it was so satisfying to watch that scene play out in, in the cinema. It was brilliant. Um, Carl, do you want to just sort of tell our audience, who probably already know what the twist is, but just explain how that twist unfolds a little bit? Well, it's the um, sort of the climactic end to the climactic final battle between um, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, who turns out to be, of course, Luke's father. <laughs> Which is it's just epic, because nobody, I don't think, in the cinema at that time would have been expecting that twist to come out at all. I mean, I don't, I don't believe there were any hints at that in the first film. No, I don't film. think so. Because the first film is quite contained in itself. Because I don't think they they knew they would, they would be able to carry it on. So it's sort of like a it sort of sort of has a final ending to it. So it hasn't it wasn't it wasn't hinted on before. No. If you think about it, at the end of Episode Four, when they blow up the Death Star, that could well be a single film yeah. on its own, couldn't it? It's yeah, the exactly. end of the Empire. They yeah. destroyed their big space base. Well done, lads. But yeah. then you obviously have the second film. That's the thing. I'm not sure it was actually the um, idea originally to have. I don't um, think so. No, no, to have yeah. um, Vader be Luke's father. I think that was something that just developed as Lucas um, carried on writing. And do you think that's what makes this film so special? Having that twist in it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it just adds so much. So much more drama to Luke's story, and uh, just you know, just so much more relatability to it. You know, he's we're following him, and then we realize his his greatest enemy is his own father. How does he deal with that? Mm. What's he going to do? Is he going to kill his own father? You know, it, it gets you hyped up for the next film. You know, you just really want to see how how this issue gets resolved. Mm, Not just that, but you have uh, the fact that Obi Wan uh, Kenobi originally doesn't. He tries. He tells Luke that. Um, Darth Vader betrayed and murdered his father and then in episode 6 well, what I told you was true from a certain point of view yeah. <laughs> um, which Luke obviously uh, doesn't take kindly to let's say to put it in diplomatic terms no he, he certainly doesn't take that take that well at all to be honest with you um, what I would like to say 
is something about more of the technical aspects of some of these films. And that's the ghosts of some of these characters that come back. Now, looking at it now, it doesn't look so good. But when I first saw it, I was really impressed by the way this looked. And, and I'm sure at the time, I'm sure this was really clever filmmaking and and looked quite impressive to, to the audience that was seeing it. Um, and as you said, Obi-Wan Kenobi was one of those characters that, that was Luke's mentor to begin with. And then obviously... I suppose died, or I mean, what do you call it when 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 the Jedi dies or moves on? Does he move on to a spirit world? I think technically, if we're going to talk, sort of, <laughs> it's funny. The Force has always become like a video game now, hasn't it? There's all kinds of special Force powers. There's always even... new rules to the Force, isn't it? Depending on the writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always new rules, and even up to the very very end of the thing in Episode Nine, we were still finding out more yeah. special Force powers that they yep. presumably unlocked with enough experience Can't points. Wait to talk but about um, that. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think the idea is that you become one with the Force once you are killed, or especially Obi-Wan in his case. Of course, he says to Darth Vader, if you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you can possibly yeah. imagine. So the I idea is that... I don't think every Jedi becomes a Force ghost. It's, it depends on how in tune you are with the Force, that you become a Force ghost. Mm. So and how, how in tune... handy it is as a plot device as well, I think yeah. it's worth saying. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Ranjit, how in tune with the Force are you? Oh, very. <laughs> <laughs> So um, just let's sort of recap some of the actors that are in some of these films as well. So obviously Mark Hamill is playing Luke Skywalker. Worthy choice of cho- of, of character, uh, person playing Luke Skywalker there, do you think? I can't think of anyone better, to be honest, especially yeah. the fact that he's a complete unknown. Um, I think it would have been very tempting to go with, um, you know, big uh, names for those kind of films. But going with unknowns really... I don't know. It sort of puts Leia, Han and Luke in their own funny little universe. You're not sort of comparing to other films those actors may have been in or something. It's almost yeah. like those actors became those characters in real life in a lot of sense. And yeah. they um, actually, I think Harrison Ford particularly, really lamented that because he was very unhappy with the fact that he just couldn't get away from yeah, Star Wars for his whole life. Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, but I think it also makes Luke a lot more relatable as well. You know, he's just, you know, he's just like you. He's just, you know, Mark Hamill wasn't a big name at the time. He's just, as a kid, you can view it and you can just see, you know, yourself in Luke. Yeah, definitely. But we had the voice of James Earl Jones as well doing Darth Vader, which I wasn't, I didn't realise until I did the research that that was the case. James Earl Jones is is amazing. I mean, he's he's Lion King. Yeah. Apparently they recorded all his lines in something like an hour and he got paid five grand and then off he hopped. And that was it? (laughs) Yep, that was it. He just sat in the studio who read out all his lines perfectly as well. But then that was it. They were just like, right, you're done. Cheers. Out you go. (laughs) Well, Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by uh, the wonderful Alec Alec Guinness as well. Um, I mean, do you... I mean, we're going to talk about um, Ewan McGregor later on. Mm Is is Alec Guinness your Obi Wan Kenobi, or is Ewan McGregor your Obi Wan Kenobi? Alec Guinness, without a doubt, I think. I think he's, and it, that's it's funny. I think he's the perfect sort of um, you know old man mentor, the very you know the wise Jedi who's seen much. He's been everywhere, and he's now passing on his knowledge to the next generation. Kind of the perfect sort of teacher and mentor. But it's interesting that Alec Guinness played it so well, despite the fact that he thought Star Wars was just a pathetic, ridiculous children's fairy tale. Basically, he was not keen on the film at all. But I think famously, a kid came up to him asking for an autograph, said something like, oh, I've watched Star Wars 50 times. And Alec Guinness said, I will give you this autograph on the condition that you never watch Star Wars ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Uh, So I think rounding this up a little bit, um, the final episode, Return of the Jedi then, um, that came out in uh, 1983. um, And it did see a lot of differences in terms of like the, the original two films that came out before um, and one of those was, was Mark Hamill's face I think I think that was between 
this, uh, the the last one in Return of the Jedi. He'd been in a car accident yeah. and broken his nose, but it, it actually... I don't want to say disfigured. That sounds almost harsh on the poor guy. <laughs> yeah. He was still fine. But um, it definitely uh, changed his appearance somewhat. I remember being quite surprised by that when I was a kid, actually, seeing him for the first time. I was like, wow, he's like he's almost aged a hell of a lot in just the, yeah. um, I think it was only three years in between the two films. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. But there was also something in between these that came out. There was a Christmas special as well. And I remember... Yeah, we don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> How disappointed were you when you actually saw that for the first time or heard about that for the first time? To this day, I still haven't seen it. I've decided I have absolutely no interest. Star Wars is an odd one for me. I kind of love it and hate it at the same time, but I think it's probably still just about precious enough to me that I don't want to spoil it with any of the um, special monsters. I've seen like reviews and things online, but yeah, I have managed I think to you avoid treat it myself. Kyle. I think you'd love it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's next an interesting Christmas. watch. It's, it's the, the the thing. The best part is the entire bit of the of the Wookiee speaking to each other with no <laughs> subtitles at all, and you're supposed to just understand what's going on. It's incredible. It's just it's just pure, just 70s just sure. craziness. It's just it's amazing. I'm well, sure I, it's a pure delight. I don't know if both of you noticed, but I created a WhatsApp group for us to sort of communicate yeah, in, but right. I put the, the Wookiees uh, from the Star Wars special, yeah. Christmas special, as our, as our little photo card on there. Just sort of. I did notice that. It was giving me Vietnam flashbacks, and I haven't even seen the film before. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, so the epic conclusion of the saga then, or this start of the, this trilogy, um, how were your feelings wrapping this up? Obviously, I've, you've mentioned a bit of it, both of you, before. Ranji, we'll start with you. How did you feel it wrapped up? Um, Return of the Jedi is the film I revisit the least. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, I think for me, I really can't stand the whole Ewoks bit. I think it's just... That they, is the main bugbear, I think, yeah, isn't it, they, is the Ewoks? They knew that this... I think by this point in time, they knew that they could make a lot of money off this mm. of this saga. So, you know, they're going to appeal to the kids, you know, make these new toys and new creatures and stuff like that. So I think for me, that really sort of, you know, these Ewoks with sticks and stones defeat the Empire. I think it's a pretty it's pretty far-fetched. So, yeah, this is a film I revisit the least out of the original trilogy. I always watch Empire, I always watch A New Hope, but I never, I, I can't, you know, I've probably seen Return of the Jedi maybe like three or four times. Um but yeah, I think for me, it's the weakest of the original trilogy, definitely. But like I said, finales are so hard to do right, and this has to wrap up a lot. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Kyle, who directed this movie? Yeah, it was uh, Richard Marquand who directed uh, Return of the Jedi. I don't think he was really known for any other particularly famous films apart from, I think he did one called Eye Thin Needle, which was like a sort of British spy film, which I know Lucas was keen on, and that's why he gave him the job. Hmm. Well... That didn't clearly pay off quite as well. Um, uh, do you think they were going to go on to make some more films? Uh, or did Lucas have this grand plan of going back and revisiting episode one, two and three as, as, a, as a trilogy later on? Or, or do you think, you know, after the film came out, he was like, we do need to look backwards a bit more, maybe? I think Lucas was just very, very busy at the end of the original trilogy. Um he suddenly got this enormous business empire. It's almost like the um, at the end of A New Hope that kind of kicked off an enormous new world for Lucas, which continued at the end of the um, original trilogy. I think he was just very, very busy, very burnt out. He actually went through a very messy divorce at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay. And I think um, the most important thing, though, is that he felt if he was going to continue Star Wars, he wanted to wait for the technology yeah. to catch up to a point that he felt would match his ideas if you see what I mean yeah yeah absolutely I think uh, there's a few directors who think like that it's sort of like James Cameron and Spielberg mm. and, and uh, Lucas who who think ahead quite a lot and 
you know, he he set up this whole thing about uh, Darth Vader being Luke's father, and I think he always wanted to delve into that. So, yeah, again, you're absolutely right. I think he wanted to wait for the technology to be able to tell his story the way he wants it to, wanted to be told. Mm. So the final film was written by George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan, but the middle movie, Return of the Jedi, that is the middle movie, isn't it? Yes. Uh, no, no, The Empire Strikes Back. Strikes. Get this right. Come on, Craig. <laughs> um, so that was actually written by Leah Brackett and um, uh, Lawrence Kasdan as well. So... Do you think having George Lucas removed from the middle film almost completely, other other than just being a producer, makes any difference here? Um, He still had a big hand in making episode five. He sort of got out of the director's chair. He sort of couldn't stand the stress of, you know, pointing the finger and go, you do this, you do Mm. that, you go there, you move here, move camera, da, da, da. But he still had an enormous influence over it. I think he had a big hand in rewriting the script because he wasn't happy with the original, Uh, still had a lot of creative control. But basically just couldn't stand being the ultimate master of the puppets, basically. That was, um, yeah, the sort of big stressful thing that led to him um, stepping back from them, yeah. Right. Does anyone else have anything to add for this final trilogy part of this part of the podcast, I suppose? I think it's a shame that such a wonderful set of films would then be somehow mangled, ruined and uh, shat on years and years later once uh, Star Wars returned to us all. Well, Carl, hold on to those thoughts because we're going to go and have a quick ad break and then we'll come back with uh, the next part of this segment, I suppose, and that's the looking at the uh, prequels. Can't wait. Interrupt this broadcast or visit Worth It the Film Review Podcast for an important announcement. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would like to remind you that you can now become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. This helps the podcast to continue to grow as well as offering the potential for bonus content and Is It Worth It merchandise. Your support helps the podcast stay alive. So why not become a Patreon supporter today? Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Is It Worth It Podcast. So it's now time to look at the prequel side of these movies and uh, to kickstart this off, we are going to sort of go back over the, the thoughts that we had in the previous part where we said why there was such a long gap. Now, Carl, why do you think there was such a long gap between these? Or oh, you already know why, but explain <laughs> it to us. Well, there was uh, the uh, difficulties with um, George Lucas's marriage, which fell apart at the end of Return of the Jedi. There was also the mm. stress of the thing, um, building up the whole new business side of it. They had um, obviously a whole universe of merchandise now pouring in. George Lucas with little dollar signs in his eyes, <laughs> um, enjoying that side of things. But um, also waiting for the technology to catch up to a point where Lucas felt he could make the um, films that he really wanted to. Yeah, so obviously he was obviously looking at trying to develop new CGI things and and bring in maybe some new characters that couldn't be done uh, in the past. Um, One of those I am going to bring up, but I said don't (laughs) mention, but that was Jar Jar Binks. Um, He he was probably one of the most hated characters in in this set of trilogies, I suppose, in this trilogy. Not just even in these trilogies, I think in anything ever pretty much. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the trouble is the prequels are um, wrought with problems. That Jar Jar is more a drop in the ocean than a real standout problem for me, anyway. Okay, so what do you think the main problem is with Episode One then, when that first came out? Well, th- I actually want to start off by saying, and this is 
seems to be quite an unpopular opinion, but I actually think episode one is the best of the prequels. Nope. And I'm already getting looks, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's usually episode three that people say is the best. But I actually think that the trouble with um, the three films is they, they all have bad stories, poorly executed, and they're all a mess. But I think episode one looks the best. And for me, that's a plus point, And therefore, for me, it wins. I actually think some of the designs for episode one are really, really nice. It's got some beautiful ships. Um, even things like Amidala's um, costumes, Padme, sort of Queen Amidala, she went through about five, six, seven different costumes. Like often yeah. between scenes, she would be seen in a different dress. And yeah. that was kind of silly. But they were really nicely uh, designed, I think. It was obviously a way to sell more toys. You can get the uh, Padme with the... I don't know, the courtroom dress, or you can get the one with the royal <laughs> gown or whatever. Um, it was quite a cynical move by Lucas there. But they were all really well designed, and I think um, episode one relied less on pure CGI than two and three did, and actually looks surprisingly good these days, I'd say. You think it stands up a bit better than the other ones? From a visual side, certainly. Story-wise, Yeah, I think that's, for me, that's why I find this... I find episode one so hard to watch, like I can't get through it. And I think it's, I think it's just a multitude of things. I think it's Jar Jar. I think it's the story. I think it's just, I find it quite boring. Like it's just, it's such a strange, I mean, strange take on like you know, why why would you bring taxes and stuff uh, well, into Star Wars? Well, this That's is the big point. Star Wars. This is the big point. I think it was um, Mark Kermode who originally said. It. I think when uh, Episode One came out, he said that people have been waiting years and years and years for this brand new set of films. And actually, you look at the trailer and things of Episode One, and it looks yeah, like brilliant. it's going to be fantastic. You it's think, an incredible wow. trailer. It is an amazing trailer, and they <laughs> That's the lucky thing with a trailer; you can pick and choose whichever bits you want. And yeah, yeah, Kind of leave yeah, out yeah. the slightly dodgy stuff, let's say. But it looked really, really good. And then the opening crawl is about some kind of taxation and trade treaty dispute. <laughs> no child oh, is going to understand that. Yeah, that's what I waited 30 years for. <laughs> but at so, the same time, I like that they tried something um, slightly different, I suppose, with this. With the original um, films, they were really like the like the ultimate action and uh, action adventures were the original films. And then with this new one, I suppose they tried to go with something a little different and to look at more, you know, the grand political side yeah. and uh, look at this sort of, you know, world of peace and order that eventually fell into chaos kind of thing. It's just a shame that it was very poorly executed. I think on paper, the, the prequels have, the prequels look and sound great on paper. Um, I think it's got an interesting story to it. You can tell that George Lucas wanted to delve into the mythology a bit more and, you know, a bit more the political side of Star Wars, which is really interesting. But it just doesn't work so well in a kids' film is the trouble, yeah, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you're right. It's, it's the execution is just it's just awful. It's just, you know, especially in this film, I think, uh, got the weird, you know, sort of maybe racist um, alien people at the start. And it's just, it's just, yeah, strange execution to what could have been you know, a really interesting story, and I think that's a, that's a running theme in this in these three films. And just confusing and inconsistent as well. I mean, you have all kinds of odd sort of tangents and things like. That. There's the fact that um, they set up this blockade around uh, Queen Amidala's home planet of Naboo, and then all of a sudden, her people. Are, she keeps saying the the same words: "My people are suffering and dying." Like they can't go one day without space food. <laughs> like, do they not have farms on their own planet? Like what? Like one day with ships around the planet suddenly means the whole world is falling to pieces kind of thing. And you never see that. You never see any villages of people stuck. You just have to take Amidala's word for it kind of thing. Just that there were a hell of a lot that was just missed and glossed over. Mm. And, and one of those things is actually a lot of the character development. Uh, and the bad guy in this film, the Phantom Menace, uh, who is he? And uh, what? how bad was he? 
Well, it's a tricky one because you it's supposed to be Emperor Palpatine, really. Yeah, I because, think that's what it's referring to. Yeah, yeah the sort, sort of, of the Phantom Menace behind the scenes, sort of putting the strings. Um, but I think uh, Darth Maul was a really interesting character. Like he, he visually he looks amazing. You know, he's got the double lightsaber which we hadn't seen before. Again, some great designs, I think. Yeah, in episode yeah, one. It's just a shame Darth just, Maul was really just yeah, a sword a flinging sort of action guy with no real story. But then I thought when I was a kid that he was the Phantom Menace because he hides in the sidelines and then suddenly appears for a great battle and that Darth Sidious slash Palpatine, he's sort of almost too much at the forefront to be like a Phantom Menace because he's right there from the very start sort of telling people what's going on. Kind of thing. So I think mm. that's a slightly confused concept from the beginning maybe. Yeah, because I, I, I always thought that he was the Phantom Menace. I didn't think Palpatine was at all. And it it was very confusing as a child to, to try and get and understand that concept a little bit. Um, but we do have a, a bit of a stellar cast here. We've got Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, played by Ewan McGregor, Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, by Liam Neeson, um, and, and a whole other host of other great characters and, and actors in there and actresses and whatnot. Um, Liam Neeson, then. Let's start off with, with him. How did he do in this film? Well, I think um, Qui-Gon Jinn is, is an interesting character because he's in many ways not like the Jedi. He's often he indulges in a bit of gambling, a bit of fixed gambling for that. He sort of uses the Force <laughs> to uh, manipulate the um, when they're, they're rolling dice and if they land on the right side, then um, they choose whether um, young Anakin is freed from slavery or whether his mother is. And then Liam Neeson, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, sorry, sort of manipulates the dice. to try. So, you know, indulges in a bit of fixed gambling. He's often rebelling against the Jedi Order. And I think the problem with that is that he's... You'd really expect the master to be like the older, wiser one who instills wisdom into the young apprentice. Mm. Whereas what you get is a stuffy, miserable young apprentice in the form of Obi-Wan Kenobi and then a slightly more cynical master. Surely you'd expect the younger upstart to be the one that's maybe breaking the rules a little bit more so that they, they always seems slightly odd that those roles were reversed to me but at the same time i quite like that sort of slightly more um cynical side to um qui-gon jinn i think it ma- makes him interesting but yeah slightly awkwardly placed when you have obi-wan kenobi there yes i completely agree with you on that because obi-wan kenobi for me He's just starting out, really. He yeah. is. He isn't a Jedi Master as such, and it seems almost bizarre that he was that ro- that role was reversed. It's almost like he was carrying on from uh, the, the the previous films, but it's wrong because he's younger. He's still learning. He's still trying to understand the ropes, and it didn't make any sense, did it? Well, this thing you can almost imagine George Lucas when he's putting this together, because for someone with such an amazing imagination when it comes to building a world, I think he often struggles a little bit when it comes to the finer details of character, and sometimes I think he can also be a bit lazy almost so you can imagine sort of sitting there trying to put together his new characters and he thinks well, well we got Obi-Wan Kenobi what's he like <laughs> well he was like a you know kind of grumpy old man so but it was, yeah he was a grumpy old man later but he's a young man in this one kind yeah. of thing that's so, sort of, what made him grumpy as an old man you know there must no, have, he was just grumpy from the same born yeah. that way apparently <laughs> he came out like that but then we've got Jake Lloyd who plays Anakin Skywalker now I know oh, Jake, Jake Lloyd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was thinking as well I mean he was torn to pieces um, in the press uh, in the reviews as well and I feel that as a child actor should you really be doing that I, I don't think so I mean he, I don't think he was that bad to be honest with you yeah I think it's just more of the direction given to him by mm. George Lucas you know George Lucas is uh, I think is, is quite uh, he's known as not being an actor's director um, so yeah he, he wasn't given a lot to work with the mm. script is quite weak especially in you know these in the prequels 
Um, so yeah, so yeah, poor Jake Lloyd. He had a, you know, he got. I think he got bullied at school as well afterwards. Yeah, badly. People, yeah, was, you know, he had a quite bad career afterwards. Which is such a shame, actually, because he could have gone on to be a a, a great actor, um, you know, yeah. in the future. But he did a fine job with the script that was given to him, certainly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the tomato scores, Rotten Tomato scores for this film is 82%. No, it's not. The Rotten Tomato scores is actually 53% by the critics and only 59% by the audience, which doesn't seem to reflect, uh, Kyle, your sort of reasoning here for it being one of the better films. But I, I am on your side, Kyle. I think it's one of the better ones. I have an hour. Um, yes, you do, from this, uh, from this set of trilogies. Um, it was the one that I remember vividly seeing in the cinema. It was the one that I vividly see more, more than one occasion but I mean for Ranji is this someone that you revisit a lot at all? Or? Uh, no not at all like I said I really I really struggle to get through it but I think uh, a positive note of this film is the incredible score by John Williams especially uh, mm. Duel of the Fates that score was really good with um, the fight scene between Qui-Gon and Darth Maul and uh, Obi-Wan um, which has since been used in a lot of Star Wars material uh, after that so yeah I think uh for me, like I said, it's a struggle for me to get through this one, so it's not one I revisit pretty much at all. Okay. I have to say, while I say that I think this is the best of the prequels, this isn't to say I think it's a good film at all. <laughs> I think it's the be- it's um, if you want to say which is the best out of dog poo, cat poo, and rabbit poo or something, you have to. It's a choice between those. But at the same time, I I do think it has some merits. Like I said before, the um, stories are a mess for all three. But one, at least, I, I still think looks really good and has actually aged really well, especially compared to the really heavy CGI of the two films that followed. Mm. So we have uh, Samuel Jackson in, in the mix here as well. Um, mm. I feel like he was rather underdeveloped as well. And I feel like he was quite wooden in this film. Well, so was everyone. I think this yeah. is the trouble that he created this world. If you set up the Jedi as being almost like monks, and they have to be very pious and they can't love, they can't get angry and da da da. You just basically end up with a bunch of soulless robots, really. Even Samuel L. Jackson couldn't quite bring Mace Wind into life. I think he was quite sort of men- menacing. He was the Phantom Menace. <laughs> he was the one. But no, I thought he was quite. Um, there was a coldness to him, which I think came across quite well. But I mean, really, beyond that, he just kind of sits in a chair. Saying, it's no. a strange thing to sort of make the Jedi's that way because you know you want you want to see them sort of wielding lightsabers you know slashing things and people and creatures and stuff like that and then you establish them as like mm. like you just said like monks it was- it's more an emotional thing for me I like um, the, the big advantage with the original films is you had a great cast of really vibrant characters that come to life and then you can have this sort of side of them in the uh, prequel films where they're you know like we said like yeah. religious monks sort of thing yeah. and that's all very interesting it might make for interesting reading but it just doesn't make for very good characters in a yeah, film that's what I mean, really like, yeah if they're not allowed to feel anger they're not allowed to feel love or anything then what do we really have to go on i think it probably comes from the, the gap there must have been you know loads of expanded universe novels and comics and stuff like that where it was established you know that that that's what it means to be a jedi mm. so it was you know they were probably sort of stuck with that and then george lucas had to somehow put that into this new trilogy I think this is a big problem with the extended universe. I think it's often leaned on too much. People say, oh, well, actually, that thing's explained yeah. in the extended universe. It's like, no, no, no. These things have to work as films. If they have to be explained away with extra literature and things, yeah, and that's yeah. just an excuse for sloppy filmmaking. I think that's the best thing Disney did to this franchise was wipe away all that and say, from this point onwards, this is canon and this isn't. So, uh, yeah. So moving on then, so 2002 brought out another film. This is Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. And this saw Anakin age uh, a fair amount there and uh, brings in a new actor in, in, in those shoes. Um, and how do we feel he got on there? 
Hayden Christensen. Exactly. I think a bit like the young Anakin, he did the best he could with a really shocking yeah, script. I agree. Is uh, is this the one with I don't like sand? This is episode. This is this sand. Is yes. Yeah, this yeah. is Sandman. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets guess, everywhere. It gets <laughs> what a yeah. line! That is a, a pretty terrible line. That was. The, uh, I recently rewatched that scene. Uh, my brother was watching the film, and yeah. I did see that. And I, I just thought, how bad is this script? It is so terrible. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the main downfalls I think with this set of trilogies here yeah. is that the script is is not just weak in plot it's weak in the dialogue as well and that's what really doesn't sell it for me it, yeah. it really doesn't move the film along very well um, and I think a lot of the critics would agree with that as well it, it's just very weak in terms of, of dialogue um, but saying that though Attack of the Clones got 65% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and only 56% from the audience so the audience liked it less than the critics did why do we think that is? I honestly haven't a clue. I really don't know why episode two is given any merit. I have to just ask, actually, when you were um, kids and you first saw episode one, did you enjoy episode one as a kid? Because I certainly did. Yes, I, don't I, think I, I did. did. I, I really loved it. I, uh, I, it was one of those first sort of cinema trips that I had with, with my dad and my uncle, and it was like a, a real... I don't know, um, lads going to the cinema, but me not knowing anything and my dad obviously knowing a lot more than I did and obviously him wanting to see my reaction to it and how I sort of get into the Star Wars universe. So for me, it's it's more of a nostalgia thing, I think, maybe. But looking back on it from now, it's still... The Phantom Menace was is still the film that I still love, not just because of the nostalgia, but Attack of the Clones... It's just very weak. It's just it's a lot worse, definitely, in terms of dialogue, I think. Well, this is the key. Um, is why I asked is because I did enjoy Phantom Menace as a kid. I didn't even like um, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, even when I was a kid. I remember coming out of the cinema thinking, what on earth did I just watch? <laughs> I remember when Yoda first gets his lightsaber out and the entire cinema just erupted in laughter. <laughs> and I'm not sure I even did. I think because Star Wars was quite close to my heart by that point, I'm not sure I even laughed. If I remember rightly, I just sort of gawped at the script. I was, what am I watching? <laughs> no one wanted to see Yoda. It almost it kind of destroyed what his whole character was about. And this yeah. is the big problem with the prequels. They managed to destroy things about the originals. They went that wrong. Yeah. So Yoda is meant to be the kind of the ultimate Jedi Master. He's all about peace, wiseness, and he talks in... Um, the original films about how the force is not just some crude power to be used. It's a, uh, you know, it's something that binds the universe together. You can, you know, it's something that you can tap into through almost like meditation and things like that. But no, he just gets a sword out and starts stabbing people. You think that's so far away from what Yoda was about, surely? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's an issue with prequels in general. You have to. You have to explain. People feel you have to explain everything. You know, mm. uh, we didn't even mention the midichlorians in episode one. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just unnecessary thing which people think you know writers think that needs to be explained, but it doesn't. You can you can leave the mystery and the intrigue and up to the fans and to the viewers, and you know they can fill like, those gaps in themselves. Um, That's a really good point about prequels in general. Actually, they yeah. um, some things I personally think a lot of things are better left mysterious yeah, and left up to the exactly. imagination. Otherwise, you end up with all kinds of awkward ways to yeah. shoehorn in explanations. You know, if you think about it, like. You know, Wolverine's origin has been ruined because you know there's, there's so much lore added to it. You know, there's, there's things you just need to keep a mystery, which you know adds to the character a lot more. And you risk ending up with um, inconsistencies, which are always unsatisfying yeah. if you're a fan. Like you, if you're left scratching your head constantly, well, hang on a minute, why did that happen? Why did that happen? You end up trying to explain these things away endlessly, but then that just adds more questions. And so you have to play very, very carefully with yeah. prequels, and they were definitely not played carefully enough in this case. I think I want to add for episode two. 
I like it a lot more than Phantom Menace because of the, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of like a mystery element added to it as well. You know, everyone's trying to figure out who's uh, sent to who who who's trying to assassinate Padme. Um, you know, there's, I think there's quite there's Which quite. I never really understood who wants to. Now Padme isn't even a queen anymore. She's just a it doesn't senator. Make sense. She's like a, <laughs> she's like an MP. Yeah, basically, it doesn't make but sense. Who wants to assassinate just some? MP, that's never really fleshed out. Yeah. I, I suppose to add some false tension, yeah. basically, is yeah. all I can really yeah, think no. of. But, but I mean, like, it, you know, there's sort of like a noir almost element to it. Um, I like the bits of Obi-Wan going to the, the mm. planet with the um, the silver-looking aliens and, you know, the rain. You know, it's just quite quite an interesting atmosphere added to it. That was certainly one of the better parts of the film. Like you yeah. said, there is a bit of a noir element. I did like the investigation side. Yeah. And plus, like the, I think it's Camino, the rainy planet. Yeah. That's one of the things that probably works slightly better on CGI than some of the yeah, other planetary things. So that that was probably the most interesting side. Yeah. I do like the the huge lightsaber battle in the uh, in the arena and when Padme, Anakin, and everyone are tied up and they need to get out of that. I thought that's pr- that was pretty fun to watch. Uh, see, for me, that was always quite unsatisfying because I felt like you have this mysterious Jedi order. You see in Episode One, for example, the very small circle of Jedi's that live, um, sort yeah. of stay up in that temple. But then suddenly they're just coming out of gunships and there's like hundreds and hundreds of Jedi and you've got lightsabers flying all over the yeah. place. The lightsaber goes from this tool. And we're going to talk about technical limitations, actually. If you look at um, uh, the original films, episodes four, five and six, because um, of the limits of the technology, they couldn't get the lightsaber out every five seconds because it would just be very difficult to do. Um, both editing-wise and to sort of fit into the story. Yeah. But then once the technology's come about to have the lightsaber whenever you want, it's just out Everyone's whenever you want. It becomes a tool rather <laughs> yeah. than something that comes yeah. out for moments of real drama. So the lightsaber becomes a slightly damp squib and you're just sort of bored of seeing lightsabers, which is kind of annoying considering lightsaber is such a cool weapon in itself. Yeah. And on top of that with the big arena battle... You have this idea in episode one that the Jedi's, no, 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 we can't. Well, it says, we can only protect you. We can't fight a war for you, says to Padme. So then they go and fight a war. <laughs> and that was the film after the one before. Like Even between the prequels, there were odd inconsistencies. I would like to know, was George Lucas in control of his own mind when he was making these films? I do wonder sometimes. Well, Perhaps not. Yeah, that's the issue. Like, he had no one to say, no one would say no to him. You know, George mm-hmm. Lucas could do whatever he wanted on these three films, and it clearly shows in the final products. You know, there was no limitations to what he could do. Uh, everyone around him, he surrounded himself with uh, yes men. You know, there's people, you know, he, he had so much power, and, you know, it's, it ultimately, you know, sucked the franchise almost. That's the thing, because limitations, I think, are good because they encourage ingenuity and cooperation. Yeah. And those are two things which made um, five, uh, five and six so good. Because he was limited, he had a lot of say, but he let someone else take the uh, helm. And then for this one, he's got completely all the power he wants. And I want to talk about the technology here as well. He waited all this time for the technology to come, to catch up. How bad does yeah. Episode 2 look now? It's the most cold, lifeless PlayStation 2 graphics yeah. universe the you've ever seen. They do. I, th- I read this recently. Apparently not a single clone was a human in a costume on Attack of the Clones. doesn't surprise me. Every single clone yeah. was complete CGI from the ground up, and it, it shows. They really they don't move quite organically enough. It's, yeah. It's really, really quite poor, isn't it? And I, I remember watching this film and thinking, how much green screen have they used yeah. here? I mean, every scene just seemed to be shot on the green screen. And I remember reading a quote from Ewan McGregor um, talking about uh, the directing here. And and, and uh, I think it was you, Kyle, who was actually maybe telling me about this. And George was, yeah. uh, do your impression, actually. Well, I think it was, um, I think Ewan McGregor mentioned this on Top Gear, actually, when he was interviewed. I think he was interviewed just after the um, third film had come out, episode three. 
Um, so he was sort of done with Styles, sitting there quite awkwardly being grilled about the fact that he was the rubbish Obi-Wan who'd had to follow up Alec Guinness of all people. <laughs> and he was um, talking about when he was on set and they were filming something on Tatooine and he's trying to look moody, but he's clearly not moody enough. And George Lucas shouts out to him, look at the moons! <laughs> and he's like, what moons, George? It's just green! <laughs> it, is, it is terrible. It really, really is. Um, looking at some of the character interaction within this film, then um, we've got Natalie Portman's character uh, and Hayden Christian character coming together um which is a bit of a bizarre move i thought i don't know about what you guys think but i thought it was a bit strange it's really weird considering she meets him as when he's a little kid exactly why she hasn't aged much it's just so strange i've always found it really strange yeah what was their age gap actually yeah well anakin was supposed to be 20 years old in attacking the clones so obviously he's about 10 in the first film so he's aged 10 years now natalie portman probably hasn't doesn't appear to have aged that much not a minute no so uh, you know that puts her in the age range of somewhere between 30 and maybe 35 something like that and it just doesn't feel right whatsoever it feels a bit strange. Yeah. Well, the whole idea of that romance, I think, was to come up with a dramatic reason why he eventually becomes evil and in some form go against the Jedi code he's been brought up with. So in order for him to turn nasty, he has to love and then, you know, have that taken away from him. So it was kind of almost a forced way to just put uh, Hayden Christensen in the Darth Vader suit. On top of that, it's you if you try and force romance on your audience enough, they'll eventually believe it, I think is the idea behind this romance, because <laughs> You see, I mean, th- this has been said before plenty of times, especially on the um, Red Letter Media reviews, the famous Plinkett reviews online. I love those They're reviews. well worth checking yeah. out. It's always hard not to um, repeat them if you can, but the analysis is so great, occasionally you have to lean on them. I think they looked into the romance between the two perfectly. And they talked about how they, you know, they have romantic meals at big tables, they roll through the fields, they do all these classic love cliches. Therefore, they must be in love with each other. It's, But. You can just you put these people in these settings enough times, you can't force that feeling on your audience. Really, I don't think it has to come organically. There's just no real reason why these two would fall in love, especially with the age gap and all the rest. Uh, just yeah, putting them in lavish, fancy, typical romance scenes doesn't make it any more believable. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Well, 2005 saw uh, the next film coming out, the final in this trilogy, and that Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and. Uh, <sighs> How do we feel about this one, guys? Ranji, we'll start off with you. Uh, so out of the prequels, this is my favourite one. Um, I think it opens really strongly. I love the uh, the opening battle in space. I think it looks great. It still looks great today, I think. The reasoning for Anakin to turn in Darth Vader isn't strong, strong enough, I don't think. Um, but I think this is the strongest out of the three in terms of... Um, Ewan McGregor's performance. I love the the ending battle in Mustafar. Um, there's a real great acting moment with Ewan McGregor when he's you know he's he's saying that Anakin was the chosen one, and you really feel it in his emotions at that point. So I think, yeah, for me this is the strongest of the three. Um, See, for me, I never really um, like you were saying about the the big dramatic ending to the big dramatic battle at the end. I thought a forty minute lightsaber fight was kind of exhausting by the end. There's only so many ways you can swing the thing before it just starts to look like acrobatics. <laughs> yep. And the other trouble for me was they. It's meant to be this big moment where the you know the master and his apprentice, two good friends, have been in all these great adventures, are finally severed in two, or literally severed in two <laughs> yeah. in the case of uh, poor old Anakin. Um, but you, I just didn't feel it because. They're constantly bickering throughout all the films and never in a way that's particularly dramatic. It's just lots of sort of 
Anakin, you must stop going against rule 349 of the Jedi <laughs> Code. Oh, God. Almost like bickering over technicalities and things. And they just never at any point seem to be particularly comfortable in each other's company. So I just didn't believe it when it came to the big sort of, um, you know, severing of ties between the two. I just thought, well, they hated each other throughout the whole thing, didn't they? Yeah. Probably waiting to get it out of their system. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which goes back to sort of the, the writing and, and the character development that George has tried to portray here. Yeah. It's it's sloppy at, at best. And it, it needed to have that sort of more you know the connections that they have with each other so obviously Obi-Wan and and Anakin should have had a bit more of a father-son relationship maybe it didn't feel like that it didn't feel like a loving relationship it didn't even feel like a friendship it just felt like somebody that two people were thrusted into each other's company and they had to deal with each other and that's how it felt so that climatic battle as you say just didn't feel right whatsoever Um, and and it's the same with the relationship between Padme and and Anakin as well it just was false and I think this one concludes it, but it doesn't do it in the way that was satisfying for me to watch and probably for Kyle. For you, Ranjit, you seem to like it a lot more. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I feel like this is the strongest of the three. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. The reasoning for him to turn into Darth Vader isn't strong enough, in my opinion. I think it's I think it's quite, I think it's a bit of a cop-out, you know, it's just mm. a bit weak. Um, and uh, But I do love, there's a scene in the middle of the film when uh, there's no dialogue uh, which is great. <laughs> uh, there's no dialogue, and it's just Anakin sort of staring into the distance, and Padme in the other the other uh, room, and it's the scene where Anakin sort of accepts his fate and uh, becomes uh, part of the dark side, and it's brilliant because there's no dialogue. It's just the music is so good in that scene, and it's probably the best acting from Hayden Christensen in the entire trilogy. Um, yeah, so I think there's a there's a lot more. There's more stronger, stronger points in this film than there is in the other three for me personally. So, yeah, that's why I think it's the best out of the three. Well, I mean, the Rotten Tomatoes scores seem to sort of back you up on that one. Uh, 80% uh, from the critics and 66% from the audience. Um, I, I mean, I'm with Kyle on this more. Um, uh, but I think, Ranji, I think, uh, you know, with a lot of other people uh, behind you, maybe there is something in that there. Um, but it's definitely universally considered the most popular of the original three, I think. Yeah, no, I think I think that's very, very true. Um, and obviously the Rotten Tomatoes definitely back that up. Um, but thinking along the lines of um, where George Lucas is trying to go with this and trying to link it back to the other films, do you think he succeeds on doing that? Well, I think um, one thing you can say for the um, prequel trilogy is that right, trilogies sort of need the themes to link them together, kind of thing. And even though it was very, very sloppy in execution you at least kind of had a unifying theme to the three um, prequel films which is that you have the sort of the old order uh, descending into chaos and madness and then out of that um, the empire is born so there there is at least something that ties them together even if it's not the best executed and the the ending's neat enough there aren't too many um, loose threads I mean it's all a mess by that point but at least you get a sense of what came later, yeah. at, at least to some degree. So I, I couldn't call it a success as such. There's at least something that unified them, which is more than can be said for the uh, sequel films when we eventually turn our attention yeah, to those, I think. You're I think. absolutely right. There's a through line between these, which is clearly missing in the, in the next trilogy we we're going to, we're going to talk about. But um, another thing I hate about this film is you know, we finally get the scene of Anakin becoming Darth Vader and it's just completely ruined by that no. awful no. It's just <laughs> yeah. so bad and it looks awful. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a through line between these three films, which is, like I said, on paper, these three films, you know, they, they sound great. Like you think there's, there's, quite, there's, there's an interesting aspect to this, but 
the execution we just didn't live mm-hmm. up to it let's turn our attention a little bit to the bad guys in this film so we've got um, uh, Palpatine and Count Dooku is in there as well and there's a few other people um, tell me a bit more about those guys isn't Palpatine just a joy to watch <laughs> he, he just loves being evil very the, much so. I think there's just something almost endearing in the way he cackles while blowing things up and, you know, sort of watching, yeah, watching this kind of, you know, he has this big final power grab at the end and he's just laughing his head off. I just think there's something endearing about that. There's a, sort of a sweetness to uh, Palpatine, the man after my own heart. Let's say. Uh, so what do we feel like the performances were like, though? Oh, about as dodgy as the other prequel films, I think. Again, they yeah. all did fine with the script they exactly. were given. but it's the best they could do. You know, you've got a legend like Christopher Lee and, you know, can, I think it's quite obvious that he doesn't really know what he's doing or what he's looking at or what he's meant to be doing. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're literally doing the best they, they could do with what they had. I think Christopher Lee was just happy to have some money coming in to pay for the re- repairs to his castle in Transylvania, <laughs> where I presume he always lived. <laughs> very, very true. Um, uh, do you guys have any other things that you want to talk about with this film or can we wrap this bit up already? So I remember hearing that somewhere that there's only one shot in this entire trilogy that doesn't have any CGI and it's a, sh- it's a shot of smoke coming out of a vent, and I think in episode one, but I'm not sure if that's true. I think that's probably in two or three, because I know because uh, one relied an awful lot more on uh, practical effects rather than um, pure CGI like uh, two and three were. So if it was going to yeah. be in any other films, it was um, probably that, because with um, episode one, you have, like, they've returned to Tunisia, actually, to record the... Um, Tatooine scenes again, this time in a sandstorm rather than a rainstorm, <laughs> ironically enough. Just couldn't get away from freak weather in uh, mm. Tunisia when they were filming, apparently. So, in that regards then, I think if we wanted to summarise up this prequel trilogy, it would it would be to say that George Lucas obviously took the reins of everything. He he was the dominant force behind all of these, very much so in terms of directing, script, everything, and then was so reliant on the CGI this is what made this set of prequels so bad. Would you agree with that? I think that is one yeah. of the major reasons yeah. is the CGI. It's such a cold world he created. I think limit, we were talking about limitations earlier. I think limitations are good, again, because they encourage ingenuity. They encourage you to cooperate, that kind of thing. When you can do anything you like, you do do anything you like. You, suddenly you've got a whole world of computer-generated stuff. And you just add crazy aliens here and you can add more spaceships and blah, blah, blah. It just ends up becoming this huge... It's like having a pizza with every single topping on it from the menu you just end up with this real blast of uh, sensory overload mm, i completely agree with you on that and for me despite the nostalgia um it's it's not the best of the star wars stuff and i i'm always going to be the guy that loves the uh, original trilogy by a long mile yeah absolutely. indeed yeah like i said i think the prequels had a good idea on paper just pure ex- uh, execution. I think um, one thing with Star Wars is there's a real temptation to go back and say, oh, oh, how would I have done? Well, I would have done this differently and I would have done that differently. And people are constantly, you even have people online making their own edits of Star Wars. They'll go back and remove Jar Jar or they'll change the scenes around in the early um, episode one, that sort of thing. Um, endless sort of fan literature and extended universe literature. People are constantly thinking about how they would do these things um, differently. I think if I was going to do them differently, I would have had I would have removed this whole silly romance with Padme, and just had them almost be like adventure films like the originals, where you see Obi Wan and Anakin going on adventures, 
Anakin gets corrupted by the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. It didn't have to come from such a heavy emotional place. I mean, Darth Vader tramps around being just a sort of general badass, really, in the... Um, especially in episode four, just stamping around, angry, <laughs> strangling people. It, it, I, I just don't think someone who'd been so emotionally wounded would have, you know, they they might be evil in some sense, but I think Darth Vader was just more just getting business done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think having a stronger background that would have ma- would have made more sense. If you see, I mean, we're talking about the problems of prequels and how to make things make sense later when you're shoehorning new information into their past. It really, if you were going to make the focus on putting Anakin in a Darth Vader suit, there were so many other ways you could have done that without all the slop of this cheesy romance and probably even without the politics as well. But again, this is a big problem with Star Wars, um, especially with like, you know some of the bigger fanboys. There, it's such a temptation to rewrite the thing in your head constantly. Maybe that's a strength in some sense. Who knows? I've still got people talking about the originals years and years on. I think people are talking about Star Wars forever. I think we'll be held captive to it for the rest of our lives, whether we like it or not, chaps. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're very right there. Uh, so that is the end of this part of the show. Uh, let's go in for the next part just after this ad break. We love the cinema and we're able to see all these movies with Cineworld's Unlimited Card. See any film, any time, as many times as you like. Being an Unlimited Card holder gives you access to all the 2D films you can handle for one monthly price. Be the first to see a movie with special Unlimited member advanced screenings and secret screenings. Save on snacks and drinks in the cinema with 10% off in your first year and 25 in your second. Enjoy 25% off food and drink at partner restaurants, which includes Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca and Belgo. All for the monthly price of just £18.40. Apply today using the code ISITWORTHIT, all one word, to get £10 off your first month with Cineworld Unlimited. So it's now time for the final act in this uh, podcast special and we're going to be taking a look at uh, the current trilogy review uh, and this is all about Disney's takeover and what they've done with it. Um, So to kickstart, obviously George Lucas made the move to sell uh, his rights to making more films to to Disney and this happened in 2012. Um, J.J. Abrams took over the helm with the first movie and uh, guys, let's crack off with that with that movie then. So we have Star Wars Episode uh, 7, uh, The Force Awakens, which came out in 2015. Um, Kyle, how do we feel this film progressed or started? So by the time the uh, film had come out or was just on the cusp of coming out, it was 24 by this point and, I sort of, and everyone was so excited. Like, oh, are you excited for the new Star Wars film? Not really, because I'm not a kid anymore. Do you know what I mean? The sort of the uh, the Star Wars films are really they're kind of like family films, but they're kind of really for kids. By this point, I was just, just so I suppose a bit a little more jaded and just like, okay, let's let's see what they can come up with. Some of it looked fairly promising in the trailers and things, but going into it, I was trying to take a neutral sort of point of view and just sort of see um, what it would give me, rather than trying to get too swept up in the hype which was huge at the time yeah. I think it's an interesting thing to see just how big the fan base had grown by then because obviously Star Wars has always had a big fan base mm. but having a bit of a gap and then this um, real huge disappointment of the uh, prequel films then promise for more films I thought people were like wow we might actually get new Star Wars that's going to be really good we can't wait to see this happen and you had these huge conventions going on 
people in costume all over the place, dressing up in costume to go to the premiere. Like it was, it was a really, really big deal. I'm not one for sort of riding a big hype wave. I thought, eh, just take a step back and just try and evaluate it on its own merits. And I have to say, I came out of episode seven initially very disappointed. And the chief problem, I think, is because it's a problem of recycling. Just how many times do you want to take a nod back to the old films and say, hey, do you remember when Star Wars was good? Yeah. Mm, definitely uh, that feeling throughout most of these ones, I think. Um, but it's it has a writing team with J.J. Abrams. Lawrence Castan is back, and we've got Michael Arndt on in there as well. And it, it feels like there's a, a lot of people sort of throwing their ideas into the film, but also trying to pick up, like you said, the nostalgia of the older films um, and reusing a lot of the storylines. Almost all the storylines. Yeah, exactly. But trying to reintroduce these new characters into the film that might uh, recycle it in a a unique way. But from my feeling, for this movie, it, it kind of backfired, definitely. Ranj, how did you feel when you came out of watching this film? Um, I remember, I think I... I was just got fully swept up into this, into the hype. Um, I think I really enjoyed it when it came out. Um, uh, I was working at the cinema at the time, and I remember just you know seeing the queues and just you know there was this great atmosphere in the building at the time, and everyone was so excited to watch it. We had a really cool staff showing afterwards. It was a really really good night. Um, and yeah, but you're right. It's just it's just pure nostalgia. It's pure. You know, do you remember this? Do you remember him? Do you remember her? Like it's. There's nothing original from it, and I think that's again that's going to be a common theme when we talk about the next two films. Um, it's just you know it's a shame. I think Star Wars films there's so much potential with them, but I don't think these three films have even scratched the potential that you could have you could have uh, delved into. So yeah, it's just it, for me it's just too familiar. Um, not enough risks were taken with it. So yeah. Mm. So I think your point of view actually reflects the point of view of a lot of people now, which is that at the time. Um, they really enjoyed the film. This yeah. is just a general feeling I get from sort of talking to people when you look online and that. People at the time thought it was really, really great. There was a big celebration about it. It was very well received. But then later, coming back to it, they maybe took a you know slightly cooler look at the thing and could see just how sort of creatively bankrupt it was in a lot of ways. I think it got off to a wrong start right from the, the beginning, really, episode seven. The way I expected it to go... And this is an important thing for the, all these trilogies is that nothing has, uh, sorry, all these trilogies, all of the um, last trilogy is that nothing has any consequences. The end of uh, Return of the Jedi, which is um, from where episode seven picked up, you have the um, second Death Star gets blown up. You see the Empire sort of finally destroyed. Emperor Palpatine gets thrown down a mine shaft and <laughs> um, you have uh, Darth Vader's big redemption. And... I assumed, because I, I tried not to read too much about the film before it came out, I wanted to go into it completely fresh without any preconceptions. And I thought the way it was going to go was maybe you have the Republic restored and you have this, um, you know, the, the Rebels have won. They've maybe restored order to, some, to the galaxy in some sense. And then you have this coup from the dark side. You have a um, some sort of insurrection or something that would, you know, catch them off guard and then it would all bring it back into ruin. But instead, it was basically the same story again. The Empire yeah. more powerful and with more resources than ever, despite all the very, very heavy losses they've taken. The Rebels are once again on the back foot. It's like, how does that follow on from Episode 6? It doesn't at all. They talk about like a soft reboot of the... There was a um, term that was chucked around a lot of the time and has actually now, I think, become quite a common fill term. You talk about a soft reboot in a world of uh, constant remakes and all the rest. And um, 
that's fine to a degree if you want to do a soft reboot and you're making a film which doesn't follow on from others. But when you're making a film which is a sequel and follows on from others, it helps to have a storyline with a common thread. Mm. And where was that in episode seven? It was like nothing happened at the end of the films. Everything's back to normal. Big bad empire. More resources than ever. And rebels on the run. Oh, so nothing matters then. Okay. I would say one of the, another big mistake was bringing back the Skywalker element to it. I would have loved it to, this new trilogy to have nothing to do with uh, the original films. Like I think I think Luke's story wraps up quite well. Return of the Jedi. Everyone's story does, even Han and uh, Leia's. I would have liked to see brand new characters. Maybe you know you can say Luke's name here and there. You don't have to show him. You don't have to show any of the old people. Like just move on. You know, create some new stories for a new generation. Like it's just. It was a strange idea, and I know it's you know it's to bring back the odd fans, and you know it's more bankable. But I think the Star Wars name is bankable enough on its own. I don't think you need to you don't need to bring these old people back. No, I I agree, and I think you know they tried to do that with Ray, with uh, played by Daisy Ridley, and then you got John Boyega in there as well, who plays Finn, uh, and then you got Adam Driver, who's sort of the the in between guy. He, you know, he is a new character, but he's from the old cast in terms of you know being son of Han Solo and uh, Princess Leia, and it. It kind of linked things together nicely, but what I would have loved to have seen with uh, with like what you just said there, Ranger yeah. Angie, it it should have had a much more fresher look on 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 the stuff and and had that more in the background a little bit uh, instead of trying to involve all those sort of older storylines and 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 bring those things back. And it would have been nice to have seen the themes come back from the older stuff. I think that's part of the problem is that it was neither a fresh look nor was it a proper continuation. It was just the same thing again. Mm. I think the one of the biggest problems for me was the well it was the fact that it was all recycled, but it was the way everything was turned up to 11 and you have an even bigger a badder a death star <laughs> that can blow up even more things. And what you was have it called Star Killer Base or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. which uh, a wonderfully original name. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you have the, the same with you have the Millennium Falcon flying through caves. You have a plucky young hero on a desert planet, which I don't understand why there wasn't just Tatooine. I thought it was when I first saw it because it's a, a, just the a same old desert planet like anywhere else. People talk about expanding the universe. It's like, well, let's have some original locations, yeah, not just another exactly. desert planet with a sad young plucky person who might know the force or may not yeah and I mean the technology has definitely moved on to make this look a lot better so the new locations should have seemed should have been different to be honest with you and you're you're right it it, it just seemed to rehash even though it was a different planet it, it just looked too familiar and everything was too familiar although you talked about the technology one thing you can say for the sequels and for episode 7 when it came out it did look fantastic yeah, yeah, it really absolutely. did look amazing yeah. And that's one thing J.J. Abrams is really good at, at doing. It's it's using uh, old school technology in terms of 35mm film and then integrating that with, with great digital CGI as well. And Clearly and, learned from George Lucas on uh, Star Wars Episode One, of course, which, uh, you know, <laughs> being the best of the prequels, relied mostly on practical technology with CGI complementing it. And I think that, that's why... Uh, yeah, episode one clearly um, doesn't get the credit. I think JJ's just... Uh, <laughs> it's going to be my hill to die. <laughs> um, JJ's just a very safe director. You know, there's a reason he was brought back for episode nine. Like, he's just... He's just... Uh, you know, he's not going to dispute what you tell him to do. You know, he's going to do everything by the book. And like I said, it's just, it's just very bland. This whole trilogy is so bland. There's nothing new. There's nothing to to grab you know it's just it's, it's just strange mm. it's just let down 
The Rotten Tomatoes scores for this movie, uh, The Force Awakens, is 93% from the critics and 86% from the audience. Now, I, 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 the feeling is that the audience, maybe uh, the older audience, were somewhat disappointed with this movie in some respects. As we say, it's rehashed a lot. Um, but for the newer audiences, for the kids that maybe hadn't seen this film, it was probably quite... Uh, new for them because perhaps they hadn't seen any of the original things and I think that's probably the case yeah, yeah. I mean when you're a kid it's a, it's a brand new space action adventure I think yeah. any kid could probably enjoy that I mean we enjoyed um, episode one for goodness sake so uh so delving a little bit more into the cast of these movies, uh, Daisy Ridley, let's start off with her. How do you feel about having a, a female protagonist in the role of more of a Luke Skywalker kind of character? Do you feel she was cast correctly? Do you feel like having her as a woman has any uh, impact on the film at all or could it have just been a male or having a female m- makes absolutely no difference? I think it makes no difference really, although I'm really not sure Daisy Ridley... I wasn't impressed at all with Daisy Ridley throughout any of these films. I felt at some points she was like panto, at other points she just looked bored. But this seems to be against the grain of the popular consensus that she was brilliant. I just don't see it personally. I'm also not sure because she, she's from around Hertfordshire, oddly enough, and she um, trained at the Tring Performing Arts School. I'm okay. not sure a sort of slightly nasally Hertfordshire accent really works <laughs> well in a galactic space opera, personally. It just, I always thought it was slightly awkward. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, you know, rounding it off with the last film that we recently saw, I, her performance throughout this set of films just doesn't feel unique it doesn't feel good it, it's not well acted yeah. in my in my personal opinion i think it doesn't feel consistent either and i think that's uh, that's a a, a a product of the films in general these three films they're just not consistent at all um but i would say adam driver just sort of carries this trilogy on his shoulders like he's just he's almost too good for it like he's so good in these films and I think he was easily the most interesting character in episode yeah. seven. That was my one feeling actually when I first saw it. I'd say I revisited episode seven recently and I kind of enjoyed it in a nostalgic space adventure kind of way, but it still had the same problems. But um, I think Adam Driver as Kylo, he, he really was fantastic. He was the most interesting character, certainly. Mm. I think this was a big problem with um, the with episode seven was you never really got enough time to know your huge set of new characters that J.J. Abrams had just plopped in front of you. I mean, in the, um, the original film, you had your very clear main protagonist of Luke. Yeah. And you had, you know, the, the wise mentor father figure in Obi-Wan. And then your big bad villain in the form of Darth Vader. It's all very simple and very tight. And then they sort of, you know, pick up more people along the way. But in episode seven, you'd start out with a whole load of new main characters. It's hard to say precisely who is the main character. I mean, it's it's yeah. sort of ostensibly Ray, but you don't really get enough time to know her. I mean, her big thing throughout these whole films is that there's the loss of her parents and she doesn't know where they are. And blah, blah, blah. But you just don't get enough time to sit on that and really feel her peril. She's almost straight away banging into action sequences and um, meeting John Boyega for the first time as well. It's You just don't get enough time to really sit down and get to know these people that you're going to be with mm. for a whole set of two and a half, three hour films. I think they almost set up John Boyega as the main character, which I think would have been really interesting. It would have been quite interesting to see an ex-Stormtrooper sort of make his way to the to the light side and become a Jedi. I think that's quite an interesting story. But yeah. again, another bit of wasted potential. Yeah. I did kind of expect that, actually. And then um, when he gets sort of cut down by Kylo Ren and then um, Rey takes up the sword, she's obviously more skilled and you think, oh, okay, so she's going to be our Jedi. It wasn't actually super clear cut how that yeah. was going to go up to that point. And I thought it would have been more interesting with John Boyega. But then that's where the problem is. You have this slightly muddy sense of precisely who you're going to be getting behind in the first film and not enough time to get to know who any of them are, especially Poe Dameron. People, I remember coming out of the cinema and people going, oh, yeah, wasn't Poe great? He was so cool and cocky like Han. Like, 
yeah, for about five minutes. And then for the whole middle of the film, he disappeared. Then he came back and blew things up in a spaceship. Mm. It, uh, I kind of felt like John Boyega's character could have been more of a Han Solo kind of kind of guy. And then you've got uh, Ray more as like the Luke, maybe Leia almost. And I thought maybe there could have been a love interest there. And I really thought they were going down that road. Yeah. Um, again, rehashing that story. And it, it, for me, it, it just kind of felt wrong. I didn't want to see any of that happen. And I, I wanted to see John Boyega's character become a Jedi. I really, yeah. really did. And I really thought he was going to get some kind of force powers. And he kind of does in a weird way, but not really in a way that we were all expecting or hoping to get. Not in a satisfying way at all. Like no. it's, just, it's just sort of brushed over, especially in the last film. And then they didn't know what to do with him was the trouble. When you have so many sort of sort of main characters right from the start, you then have to think about where they're going to go. Yeah. John Boyega ended up really um, just kind of hanging on. There wasn't really much for him to do. I mean, in the um, episode eight, he sort of goes off on his uh, little tangent. By the end, what was he really there for? Mm. I'm not sure any of this was really planned from the start. They just, it almost feels cynical to say, because George Lucas wasn't, you know, directing these films. He didn't have a massive hand in what was uh, written. A big hand, but still, you know, not full control. Um, it almost, it would feel sort of cynical to say that, you know, you can sell more action figures by putting in a whole bunch more characters. But then you think about on the other side, you have General Hux, uh, played by Domino Gleeson, brilliantly, I think. Um, in the later films, more than the first one, I think the first one, he was far too much of a typical evil British man. <laughs> who, the Rebel Alliance will be struck down. And they played it so straight. Yeah. And that's one thing I liked about episode eight was they straight away took the piss out of him. Like within minutes, they were making your mum jokes. About him. I thought, that's a great way to bring a character like that down, uh, back down to earth. But coming back to um, episode seven, um, like I was saying, it, it's um, in a George Lucas kind of way where he obviously had his eye on the prize with all the merchandise he was making. That might not have been the case with JJ Abrams by introducing so many um, new characters. But part of me does sort of wonder when you have someone flashy like uh, Captain Phasma, the sort of fancy stormtrooper, you have General Hux, you have Kylo Ren, you have all your sort of um, mixed main characters. You do sort of have to wonder if there was maybe something like that on the man's mind. You kind of, yeah, well, there's, you know, perhaps opportunities outside Star Wars here. And I suppose outside of Star Wars, exactly where he went, he went somewhere completely different and uh, a new director was brought in for the next film. Uh, Ranjit, tell us a little bit about that. So we now have Ryan Johnson taking the helm and we have Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, um, which came out in 2017. Um, and for me, like this is, this is easily the most polarising Star Wars film. It's definitely split the fan base in half. Um, but not I, the critics, interestingly. Yeah, it's quite interesting. The thing I love about this film is it does something new. It takes risks. Um, you know, there's, 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 you know, there's, I love the fact that they make, um, uh, they mention that Ray's parents are no one. I think that's really interesting for a character. You know, there's, there's this whole idea of you don't have to be related to anyone in order to, you know, be a, be a strong Jedi. You can literally be anyone. I think that's a good message to send, you know, you know, young girls watching the film and young, young boys watching the film. It's, it's a great message, you know. Um, which gets ruined later on. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so this film takes it takes risk. Um, Ryan Johnson is a brilliant director, um, and yeah, but there there are I can understand people's arguments with uh, against this film because there are aspects of the of this film which I hate. You know, I don't like the whole Canto bite scene. You know, uh, John Baker's character and Rose they they literally their whole arc doesn't amount to anything. They don't do. They don't do anything to advance the plot at all. Mm. Um, 
and uh, Captain Phasma is absolutely useless in this film. Like she's just there again, to, you know, to remind people, you know, they could buy the Captain Phasma doll. You know, when that's after they've seen the film, and yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a bit of a mess. But I like the risks it's taken. Like it, it tried to advance the franchise, um, and yeah. Mm. I mean, critically, uh, Rotten Tomatoes states it at 91%, but the audiences hated it at 43%. Is it really that low? It's really that low. And I think uh, it's the fans that have sort of given it that score. Um, Kyle, I know you really wanted to go into a bit of a rant, maybe about the fans a little bit to some extent. I think a big problem with um, these sequels was, um, I mentioned earlier how big the fan base had built up. I feel like so much time was spent pandering to this new fan base, almost out of fear kind of thing but all they can do is review your film negatively and who cares what the fans think I mean especially when it comes to <laughs> I'm going to sort of just go out there and say you. I think a director really should come into a film with a vision and not just make it as a product to sell mm. otherwise, otherwise it's the kind of what's the point in filmmaking it just becomes like churning out sausages from a factory or something rather than <laughs> making something really interesting and I liked episode 8 and I, I agree with you um, Ranji I really really like episode eight this was the first one i'd watched in years where i felt real almost like childlike joy mm. at the film right yeah. from the beginning yeah um you were saying some of the problems about with um like uh captain phasma and yeah. john boyega's character and all that i almost feel like they're the problems with those laying the origins of those characters with jj abrams suddenly coming up with a whole load of new people but without any real clear-cut purpose other than to look cool on a screen. So Ryan Johnson, I think, um, was, for me, quite cleverly sort of gave a lot of these characters the boot. Because what else were they going to do? Captain Phasma appears looking all fantastic and then just gets whacked in the hole <laughs> by John Berger. Great, I really like that. And actually, um, I really enjoyed the scene on the casino planet. And that's, I seem to be slightly unusual in that point of view. And I was going to say, I hope all our houses are well guarded against um, <laughs> stones being thrown in pitchforks and things because I know fans will find you yeah they will find, they will find us somehow because this film like, like I said is so um, divisive but um, the film the scene which caused a lot of the problems was that casino planet I thought it was really interesting I thought it was just one of the like we're talking about how um, we had a new desert planet in episode 7 and you have these new worlds but no real meat on the bones kind of thing. I thought this was a new world that was quite interesting, a little bit different. It was almost a bit of, um, you know, had a bit of space politics in there. They were talking about arms dealing, that kind of thing. And I thought, but in a a way that was subtle enough and not too political or anything like that, it just, uh, yeah, added something new and interesting for me um, in that film. And I think that's all they could have really done with John Boyega because he he didn't really have an awful lot else to do. And again, it's this problem with introducing a whole load of new people without any clear vision of what they're actually there for other than for selling more cool toys. Yeah, it, I, I like that scene um, or that whole part of the of the plot. But the problem is it it's taken out of context. You, I like it out of context, but within the whole yeah, part the of that film... It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. No, yeah. it really doesn't. It doesn't fit into the narrative of the film whatsoever. I think it makes sense because they, they had to go off and find their um, super-duper hacker man to disable the ship. It, I think it it does tie into one of the weaker plot points of the film, which is... Well, let's put it this like Running out of petrol isn't the most exciting... Uh, premise for an epic chase is it really and that's kind of what it was about yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the weaker elements it's of the just, film it's a lamer Mad Max isn't it it's just it's a good way to put it it's, it's not like an epic chase across the desert it's yeah. just that they're running out of petrol and very very slowly zooming in and in the meantime they have enough time to fly off and go on an adventure on another planet yeah. uh, that, that, that wasn't the strongest element of the film I'm willing to admit but the bits I thought were really good 
outweighed that enormously. Yeah, it didn't detract that. from that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, the throne throne room scene is just gorgeous. It's just, it's a really interesting scene. Really and, striking to look at. Kind yeah, of thing. A very yeah, dramatic part of the film. Scene. Really beautifully shot. And great performance from Adam Driver in that scene. Um, and I really like how they... You know, like I said, they make they uh, mention the fact that Ray's parents are no one, but then they also mention they also uh, turn Adam Driver against the Jedi and the Sith, which I think again you have a really interesting turn for this character, which doesn't go anywhere. But he neither lands on the sort of a yeah. black or white spectrum. He and tries you, to carve have, his own path. Yeah. It's very fascinating. And we haven't seen that before in Star Wars, and that was quite interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to break away from the um, sort of you know completely yeah. two divided sides of dark and light, good and evil. Yeah. But speaking about evil, then, uh, Supreme Leader Snoke, play, played by Andy Serkis. Let's touch upon him a little bit. Kyle, what did you think of him? We didn't, we didn't even mention Snoke for episode seven, we I've just realised, yeah. which is a very important point. I was talking about how making a bigger, a badder, a more shootier Death Star was a really, really poor point. Also, having another giant holographic emperor seemed like a real cheesy cop out for me. It's something they did in the original film. So, of course, we have to get another big holographic emperor out. And I thought, oh, where are they going with this? This is just exactly the same thing again. But then when Snoke actually turned up in person in episode eight, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, I love he, his look. Like, yeah, the CGI looks great. The CGI looks great. It's a really good, strong look. And I like how he was, you, you have yet again another big holographic emperor. And that was just kind of lampooning the original films in a really irritating way. Once he's actually there, I think he is different enough to um, Emperor Palpatine that he's kind of interesting on his own. There's almost a kind of sexual side to. Um, Snoke, I find he's the way he preys upon yeah, Ray. The it's weird a, golden robe. Yeah, yeah there's something weird. lounge lizard and a bit <laughs> yeah. slimy about him, which is, I think, really cool. Um, but again, and this is another point with, um, and this is almost the tagline for the film. Like the exact line, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was, was it break with the past, kill it if you have to? Yeah. That's something that Kylo Ren says an, all, uh, an awful lot in the film. And I think. I think Ryan Johnson was consciously trying to do that in breaking away from the previous film. Killed off Captain Phasma. What's the point in that character? John Boyega goes off on his own thing. What else is he going to do? And then Snoke, he gets a really, he gets his cool moment as the really sleazy kind of um, uh, emperor in a different way to Palpatine. But then he too gets um, killed off and um, carried away. And I I actually thought that was quite an inspired move. It sort of left the last film without a... um, you know, a big evil emperor character, but again, it was different. Yeah, it was nice to see someone like that be killed off. And again, what else are they going to do with a new magic holographic emperor? I thought it was a great way to kill him off, mm. as a way for um, Kylo Ren to forge an interesting new moral path. Yeah, definitely. And I think who better to play it than Andy Circus as well? I mean, the the man has played Gollum. Yeah, uh, and I didn't then even know it was Andy Circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he he went off and branched off and and has uh, developed his own company that specialises yeah. in motion capture technology and this is why he plays all of these characters and so well uh, you know Planet of the Apes as well or, mm-hmm. or Rise of the Planet of the Apes yeah. going on with all of those ones playing Caesar um, he is a, a brilliant actor and, and a real um, at the real forefront of developing the technology um, so a real interesting character but to kill him off after that um, it was needed um, and it was brilliant but I would have loved to have seen more I would like to have seen more. That's the ironic thing. I would like to have seen more, but I like being left wanting more and not just having things handed to me on a plate. Yeah, I think for me, I think it was a perfect amount because like I said, I like the fact that they, you know, it was, I, I really wanted to see where Kylo was going to go next. I wanted him to go full bad, you know, full evil. And, you know, he, I wanted him to be like, you know, almost, almost faded, like, you know, just mm. this threatening presence throughout the universe, throughout the galaxy. Uh, which, which doesn't happen, unfortunately. But um, yeah, for me, I think it was a perfect amount of Snoke. I think killing him off that way as well was really interesting. I really liked the way it was executed. So two other characters that I wanted to touch on. 
Um, Laura Dern's character, our Ugh. vice admiral, uh, and also our hacker, uh, played by Del Toro. Um, these are two characters that I I actually really liked, but just seem to be very underdeveloped. No, no, I, I'm, I I disagree with you there. I think I don't think Laura Dern's character needs to be in the film. I wish that was Admiral Akbar. I wish that was him making that sacrifice for the rebellion. Mm. I think that would have been a lot more added a lot more weight to the story. Um, and again. Benicio Del Toro is just so forgettable in that role. I just, I just don't, I don't understand anything about him. I think it's just a bit odd. I mean, he just seems to wander off, yeah. and then that's it—the yeah. end of his character. And I mean, he was an interesting character to some extent, but I, there will need to be a bit more background about him, and and maybe develop him a bit more, maybe for the next episode. But he just sort of disappears. And, yeah. and Laura Dern, I think, is a wonderful actress, so, which is why I would probably would have liked to have seen more from her. Yeah. But again, it was somewhat underdeveloped and her demise was just a bit of a cop-out again. Mm. Yeah, I think they definitely come about at the weakest point of the film, but I'd like to talk now what I think were the um, stronger parts of the film. Yeah. I thought Luke Skywalker and the way his character um, was reintroduced and the stuff with Ray on... Their plan. I thought that was all fantastic. So immediately going into the film, almost, isn't it? So this is a continuation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. This is another, and I, I really do want to make a point here of uh, Ryan Johnson almost putting a finger up to J.J. Abrams and the mess that he'd left him to deal with. Um, I like uh, the fact that straight away um, you have, like, the end of episode seven, you have that great big cheesy visit island advert with the yeah. the, the very last <laughs> scene where the helicopter circles around the um, uh, the two of them on that island. And then you have the big moment where she hands over the lightsaber to Luke. He just, nope, just chucks it away. Just, nope, not doing that. It was, again, you may be expected. If it was J.J. J. Abrams doing it, I'd almost imagine it'd be like, oh, yes, it has come back to me. It is time. And there'd be some big cheesy moment where Luke realises his destiny is to come back and fight. But no, Ryan Johnson's like, nope, not doing that. I'm an old man on an island. Leave me alone. I want nothing to do with this. You know, that was a really great moment for me. Yeah, I thought and it was Again, fantastic. it's break with the past, kill it if you have to. Exactly, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Um, so, guys, do you want to carry on talking about this movie or should we move on for the penultimate or penultimate Just for the ultimate ending? One thing I want to say about Luke again. Um, I also love the fact where, you know, where it's revealed that he almost uh, struck down Kylo and Anger. And I think that adds another very sort of relatable human depth to Luke. A moment um, of weakness and the yeah. massive consequences yeah. it ended up having. It was a very powerful moment. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I really, I really think that, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a common theme that, about the Jedi, the failure of the Jedi. And I think that it was quite interesting for them to touch upon that. Yeah, I agree. And I think bringing back Yoda as yeah. well was great. And I think Puppet Yoda. Yeah, exactly. No lightsabers from Yoda there. <laughs> you know what's funny is I think that you look at a lot of the um, pastiche stuff in these films that get nod back to the old ones and it often feels a bit tedious. I, th- I sort of didn't feel that way in episode eight. I felt like it was done a lot better. Like when they uh, brought back Yoda, like if it had been in another film, it might have been like, yeah, I remember how force ghosts work. I remember how these people come back. Um, but it was actually a joy to see Yoda, especially back being his sort of jolly cryptic self rather than the sort of slightly strange yeah. robot Yoda that we got in uh, the prequel films. Mm. Uh, yeah, I thought it was actually one of those sort of nod back moments that was actually done really well. It didn't feel too much like a cheap sort of nostalgia trip. Mm. So I think maybe we, we, we haven't talked about maybe actually is Carrie Fisher. Yeah. I think um, <laughs> perhaps talking about her would be a, a good place to to go into the next film in a, in a bit. But 
Um, sadly, she passed away. Uh, was it during the making of episode I think eight it, or just after yeah, that? Yeah, I think they had filmed everything they needed from her and then she passed away. Yeah. Yeah, the, so yeah. which was obviously a very sad moment in uh, for a lot of Star Wars fans and for for everybody really who who knows and loves the films that she's worked on before. Um, well, how, what do you feel she brought to the table in this movie? Do you feel she was a necessary character to have there or was she something that maybe we could have done without? I'm not sure Carrie Fisher really brought a lot to these films of them, being entirely honest. Um, I did, however, like, and this is another thing which seem, people seem to really hate and makes me unpopular. I really like the moment where she flies yeah, back through space back into that. the ship. Yeah. Why was why did people get so angry about that moment? I thought it was magical. There was something just really, well, yeah, magical about yeah. it. I really love that moment. And, new, sort of, and you know, it's new and different. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's a great moment in the film. We get this idea that, um, you know, being a Jedi or whatever means you just fly around blasting things and throwing a lightsaber around. But I like that she clearly has some some feel for the Force. And in this sort of moment to bring herself back from death, she sort of, you know, has this desperate push to get back to the ship kind of thing and then collapses and um, is in the sort of infirmary for a long time in the film. That was a really, really magical moment, I thought. In terms of what else she could really bring, I think Carrie Fisher had had... An awful lot of Botox. Since her face, <laughs> having had a lot of trouble moving, she uh, voice had completely gone. I'm not. I'm not sure she was quite up to her very best in these films. Of them being quite honest. But the character obviously still had more to give, and it, it was evident in that film to some extent. Maybe. Um, okay. How are we guys ready? Are we ready to move on to to this next film? Oh yes, for the main. <laughs> Let's review. do it, shall we, lads? Okay, so it's Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. Uh, this came out at the end of 2019, uh, and uh, I think we'll probably delve straight into the Rotten Tomato scores for this one. Um, critically, 52, <laughs> percent which makes it somewhat rotten, uh, but the audiences like it at 86. percent um, Okay, Kyle, we'll start off with you. How did you feel about this movie? Well, well, well. It was a bit. It was a bit like sitting in the dark, having an enormous vat of pick and mix poured over your head. There was just so much happening all at once. It was very, very hard to keep any kind of track. It was just what a mess. Mm. Well, I mean, they they brought back JJ for this film. Um, obviously, the previous film was so divisive that it it, it they they needed the safe hands again. Apparently, uh, so Walt Disney fought, um, and it, it just. For me, I mean, you and I saw this together, Kyle, um, and uh, I don't know. We, it, there was just so much going on that you didn't have any time to really process everything that was happening. It, it took a while. I just remember sort of sitting there going, oh, oh wait, they're on this planet now? Or what are they doing there? Oh, and there's there's another new character, and, and, and now they're off to here, and then who's there? And it, I, I just ended up sort of just laughing to myself at the kind of ludicrousness of it all. The big bugbear, though, is the, the return of... Good old Palpatine. Good old Sheev Palpy. Uh, his first name is Sheev, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, fantastic choice there, George Lucas. <clears throat> e- yeah. Um, not just the return of Palpatine, but really breaking away with the previous film. Um, what on earth was this a continuation of? It yeah. was just a complete bolt from the blue. I yeah. had no idea what was going on. I mean... You you mentioned the return of Palpatine, but literally the return out of nowhere. Like, isn't it's not really explained how he's back? Like, nope. it's just again, it's just hiring JJ because he's he's you just said he's safe, and you know he he's the master of nostalgia. You know, he rebooted Star Trek, and again, that was there was a lot of nostalgia in that. And then 
it's just the same same problem here. Mm, obviously, Disney thought maybe he can actually round off this these uh, these films well, but, I, I, but no. If that's the case, then I wish he was on all three because it's clearly evident in this film. There's, there was no through line between them. There was no plan between them. It was just Kathleen Kennedy saying, "Okay, uh, JJ, you do what you want to do. Ryan, you do what you want to do." Like it doesn't. You know, there's, there's a reason that Marvel Marvel films are so successful after, what, 20 films or something? 25 films? I can't remember. Yeah, something ridiculous. Yeah, so it's because there's a, there's a running story, you know, there's a running narrative between them. and They are thought, there's a thought process to them and yeah. there's an arc that goes through all of them and they're pre-planned, you yeah. know, at least 10 years yeah. before and they go on for 10 years. Yeah. So with this, with this in mind, do we think that there was any pre-planning to this, or do, they, do you no. think they just took it as a film by film basis? No, it really doesn't seem any, like it. Any no. pre-planning with this? Um, it's not to say they weren't financially successful. They've all made a billion dollars each, uh, more than that. But you, you know, it's yeah. There's just there was just I, I don't think there was any pre-planning with this at all. Not just in terms of the narrative, but also in terms of themes. Like I said earlier with the prequels, at the very least, you could say there was at least a theme that tied them together, which made the thing sort of, I suppose, fairly neat in some way. Yeah. But in this last sequel trilogy, what was the main theme? I mean, at the very end, you have um, Ray comes out and sort of, she sort of declares herself Ray Skywalker. Skywalker. <laughs> uh, just like, why? What is... The fact that that was like the the final big moment makes me think that J.J. Abrams was maybe pushing for that mm. to be the theme that the film's never had. So what is it? You can choose your own name, Water's Thicker Than Blood. I mean, it was very unclear. Mm, it's yeah. almost like the themes were redemption in some way and also uh, sort of choosing your own destiny uh, in some respects. But it, it was weak. It was a real weak choice of themes to round it off. There's no linear connection to yeah. any of the other films in 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 that sense, and it, it was a, a huge cop out. Yeah, massively. Well, yeah, I think I, I disagree with the choosing your own destiny thing because she ends up being a Palpatine. So the that's message, a very good point. Yeah, yeah the she message didn't even is choose like her own you destiny. have to be either a Skywalker or a Palpatine to be relevant in this galaxy, which. Which the last Jedi establishes at the end with the broom kid that it's not it's not the case. Which I loved actually. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. It was an interesting message to bring that you don't have to be the chosen one of destiny. Like and not just in Star Wars, in a hell of a lot of films, it really relies on this old trope of yeah. being the chosen one. And it was quite cool to suggest that, you know, maybe there is you know, they talk about the Force Awakens. Maybe here's where we see the awakening happening. We might see it stirring in a few more people in the galaxy. But no, you you, you have to be of the correct bloodline. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it just, it just, you know, it, this film really also uh, just sort of, you know, throws a middle finger at the Last Jedi. There's loads of uh, story elements of there that I just completely glossed over. Rose probably has like a line or two in this film. She's yeah. hardly in this film. There's a there's a tube of uh, there's a vat of Snoke's in, the, in this film, which is just an insult to Ryan Johnson. I think but, it's funny we talk about Ryan Johnson maybe insulting J.J. Abrams' terrible setup for a new trilogy. J.J. Abrams almost sort of like I'm going to show you yeah, what kind of trilogy yeah. I can make. Screw you, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and then it's like I'll show you just how bad I can make this thing. It's almost how it felt. It was almost an arrogance to some of it. I think yeah. it was almost like a uh, director's dick waving contest going yeah. on there. I felt. And I think this film is just it's just full of plot holes. I mean, where do all the Star Destroyers come from? 
That's um, the thing. Where did all the uh, rebellion ships come from? Like, is Palpatine's just... big sort of final blow the fact that he's increased ship production? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's like he could have had anything for his like something subtle for his big final blow if he had yeah. to even be there at all. But no, he just like where were these ships made? Is there a big manufacturing facility on this sort of lost planet? Yeah. That the, the why where? Yeah. And then he gets defeated by a little handy bolt of deflected lightning it was all really thin yeah and i think i remember i remember saying before i watched the film that if they if they redeemed kylo then that's it for me i'm done i'm done with this uh this uh, new trilogy which they did they redeemed kylo and i think that's just such a detriment to adam driver and his character and the ending of the last jedi like it's just you just he's just moving backwards you're not you're mm. not moving that character forwards at all like it's just he should have been the main villain for this film there should have been no palpatine at all like, I think it's just a waste of Adam Driver. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the relationship between Ray and uh, Kylo Ren as well, it, it took a, a weird turn and one that I was hoping wasn't going to happen, but yep. you kind of knew it was going to. Um, and along the same lines of that, it's the use of the force between the two as well, which just seemed way beyond the realms of what we've seen before and and something that I just didn't like at all. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah the whole the use of the force healing again it's just the writers do what uh, the, the writers can make the force do whatever they want it to do which is a bit it annoying depends how much XP they've gained yeah. <laughs> if they get to level 8 then they unlock force magic healing blast yeah it's strange I mean like I said earlier I think there's there's, there's a potential for this, this, this new trilogy had so much potential like currently I'm playing the uh, Star Wars game on PS4 Jedi Fallen Order and that that's just rich in so much mythology and lore and it's just none of that it's just it's just touched upon in these films, which is a shame. I mean, it just feels like there's no limitations. And we, you know, in the previous films, there were some kind of set limitations to it, especially in the original sets. And as Kyle touched upon, it was mainly because of the the use of props and CGI. It just wasn't possible. So especially with the, the lightsabers. But in this, it just felt like they've taken the plot device of the Force and just thrusted it in there with a very thinly uh, written script and to carry the film along into just extending it further. And I, I, yeah. I think the silliest moment in that, in that vein for me was when they're kind of kneeling in front of Palpatine and he's sort of like sucking their life force out <laughs> of them with his hand. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. I thought people were still human and they still had blood and guts and all the rest, but no, you can sort of drain their very being from them. Hmm. Like, we're introducing yet new silly force powers right at the very end of the film, a time where you shouldn't introduce new things, you should tie the old things together. Yeah, and even even Palpatine didn't seem to know that that was even possible, and it, was, it wasn't until something happened that, that, that started to happen, and it was like, oh, I can do this, now I can, oh, maybe I can be yeah. reinstated, actually, and it's like, um, stop it. Yeah, Stop where you're well going with how this. it's all happening against the backdrop of a big space battle to get this sort of mirroring episode six. It's exactly the same thing. Luke's helplessly yeah. watching his friends get blown up while he's here with Emperor Palpatine. It's exactly the same scene yet again. Mm. Also, when did Emperor Palpatine reproduce? <laughs> when did he have kids? Yeah, that's the thing. Was he, was <laughs> he getting happen? laid as a senator? <laughs> did he have a couple of illegitimate little kids? And also, if he had a son, why did he end up on some godforsaken desert planet? Yeah. And also, if he wanted to have like an heir... Why is granddaughter not his own son? <laughs> what, why? It was a it was a really lame way to shoehorn in this idea of you have to be a chosen one of destiny, which they did with Ray. It's like, well, she's got to come from some sort of um, previous Jedi or somewhere in the Force. Who could she come from? Oh, Palpatine. I suppose he was getting his end away back in his cheeky Senate days. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, it, I it, think there's a lot of sighing going on, I've noticed. I think we're yeah. just kind of... Isn't yeah. Star Wars such an exhausting yeah. thing? There's so I, much to think about and so many ways to analyse the yeah. thing. I remember saying to someone that I think I'm done with the films now. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to The Mandalorian when that comes out here on Disney+. Plus. Um, I think the future of Star Wars is probably in TV shows, to be honest. I think give the films a break for a while. Cause... I sort of wonder, actually. I think Star Wars, in many ways, there's... It, it's tempting to say that Star Wars is a big, um, expansive universe full of potential that you can do anything with. It's a universe full of potentially different set locations. Yeah. You can have all kinds of different planets and all the rest. But in terms of what makes Star Wars Star Wars, it's almost it's kind of World War Two in space. You have to have you know without yeah. the big armies yeah. and without the swords and without these sort of core Star Wars elements, it's kind of nothing. I think Star Wars is actually very limited, and we're now seeing the very limits of what you can really achieve with um, Star Wars as a universe. The films are now pretty much creatively bankrupt. You've got The Mandalorian, which apparently has been well received in America. That's great. But from here on, there's always going to be a dark side and a light side yeah. and I think we're inevitably going to come keep coming back to these same story elements. Mm. So I, I wonder how much life Star Wars has really got in it. Probably plenty from a commercial point of view because people will continue to see the films. But in terms of anything creatively interesting, I really think Star Wars is actually quite limited in some ways. I don't know because I think I think if they were to come back with some more films and they did it they did it maybe thousands of years in the future. I think you have you have something there that you can delve into or maybe thousands of years in the past as well. You know there's you know the Knights of Old Republic is pretty interesting. Um the game that came out a while ago um about the sort of formation of the Jedi and that's set thousands and thousands of years in the past so there's no Skywalkers at, at all. Um but like I said earlier like if this if this trilogy came back with no link to the originals it, you have something that you could do there. I think that I think that's, that was the way forward, but they didn't do that. I think perhaps you're absolutely right with that, actually, Ranji. And that it is it is now just a thing for Disney to to produce um, and and earn a lot of revenue from. Yeah. And that's we we're seeing that with a lot of things that Disney is are doing now. Disney are buying up a lot of things. They're becoming a monopoly within the uh, the film industry and now the streaming industry as well. And it's just. So unfortunate, really, that this is the case. And I would have loved to have seen this final uh, sequel trilogy uh, just not look at the past, not look, you know, at, at any of the, the similar themes and, and things and just really make something special and different and, and go out on a whim by, by taking a risk. And unfortunately, there were no risks really taken. Apart from an episode eight, really, other than that, was sort of the audience was treated like pigs at a trough, really. Just fill it with feed, <laughs> fill it with all the things people love and they'll yeah. carry on seeing it and making us money. Absolutely. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to really touch upon with this? Uh, final review part of the film I uh, do podcast. if I could say one thing to summarise um, probably the trilogy as a whole the sequel trilogy as a whole but particularly episode 9 it's um, and this was almost the. it's funny we were talking about the um, tagline um, break from the past kill it if you have to which is a perfect one for episode 8 I quite like it when that sort of mirrors the content of the film um, for episode 9 you have um I think it was teased in the trailer. It was or something Luke says, possibly in episode eight, actually, when he said, "No one's ever really gone." Yeah, it, it turns out it's completely right. No one's ever really gone. Chewbacca dies, but then sort of comes back, and then C three PO has his memory wiped, but then he comes back. Ray and um, Kylo Ren have their little sort of life and death back and forth before they finally decided, "Now nah, we can't kill off the uh, main character. She's got to live." And 
the fact that the whole thing followed on from, well, it should have followed on from episode six, but didn't. It was almost like nothing had any consequence. That really is the big problem for this film, is that nothing has any consequences at all. And for me, that's just very unsatisfying. It's a way to just carry on pumping out the same bland themes that we've seen a thousand times. Yeah, absolutely. Ranji, you have any final thoughts to add to that? No, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, it's just it's just full of fake out deaths. You're right. Like Chewbacca just appears out of nowhere again. Um, I just think this this I think this film puts this uh, sequel trilogy into perspective that there was no plan for it. It literally was each director to do their own thing. Um, and yeah, it's a shame. Like if there was a like at least the prequels had a through line between them. There was some sort of narrative going along uh, between the three of them. But yeah, this this film, the characters are almost completely different to what they were in the film beforehand. It's just it's just a complete mess, I think. Yep, Kyle, uh, I think you summarised that up pretty well. The consequences of the actions of JJ yeah. and Ryan um, really have put these final uh, set of films to, to almost to shame, even though I loved Ryan Johnson's take on it. It, it just hasn't really paid off at all, um, despite paying back Disney a ton of money. But yeah that that is it really isn't it that's it and i think that just leaves me to say thank you both for coming on at this uh special star wars episode and discussing it all with me uh, if you guys listening have enjoyed this episode and want to hear more episodes just like this why not consider supporting the show you can do this by emailing the show on my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com or you can use facebook twitter or instagram to send us a message the links are available on the website uh it's www.isitworthitpodcast.com and if you'd like to take it to the next level well, why not consider donating to the show uh, by using Patreon you'll be able to help the show uh, grow financially and we'll be able to dedicate more time to this uh, and producing more co- great content just like this one uh, there's some, also some great goodies that are going to come this uh, your way if you become a Patreon supporter uh, as we're in the process of developing the Patreon tiers uh, the link for that will be in the description below uh, so Kyle Ranjit thank you very much thank you thank you